This is another Red FM podcast. And remember, if you enjoyed this episode, for more podcasts, check out redextra.ie. It's full of great Red FM content. And a very good morning to you. This is Mick Mulcahy on the Neil Prandival Show as Neil takes his summer breaks. A bit of an extended run for me. I'll be here until Friday, two weeks. Uh, so you're very welcome along uh, to the programme. Now, let's get to the morning papers. Uh, this is all over the papers, and I'm not sure is it going to just scare people. The Flamingo Test, it's called, can tell if your life is in the balance. Adults who can't balance on one leg for 10 seconds are almost twice as likely to die within a decade uh, as those who can, a study shows. Die within a decade. This is really going to scare people. Researchers say that GPs could use the simple flamingo test to spot patients with a shorter life expectancy. They asked 1,700 people aged 15 to, uh, sorry, 51 to 75 to stand on one leg for 10 seconds. You're trying it now, aren't you? Uh, with the front of their free leg against the back of the other. Uh, participants had to keep their arms by their sides and look straight ahead. And around one in five failed, with the failure rate almost doubling every five years from age 51. So after accounting for age, sex and underlying conditions, an inability to stand on one leg for 10 seconds was linked to an 84% higher risk of dying within a decade. Wow. Okay, you can check that out in most of the morning papers today. But let's get more specific. Uh, The Irish Daily Star, we thought they'd moved on page eight. Shocked locals yesterday told how they thought the couple found dead in their temporary home were abroad. The pair in their 70s and originally from the UK were found dead in their home in the rural village of Clonine on Monday after a local man raised concerns as to why there was no sign of activity despite the couple's cars being parked at the back of the property. He contacted a county councillor who then in turn contacted Gardaí to conduct a welfare check. Gardaí called to the remote property shortly after 4pm and made a grim discovery. It's believed they had been dead for a considerable period of time. Yesterday it emerged the tragic couple had indicated to locals in late 2020 they were moving overseas, which is why there was few concerns uh, when they weren't seen around the place. Couple may have died of carbon monoxide, says the examiner's front page today, Neil Michael reporting, that the elderly couple whose bodies lay uh, undiscovered in their temporary home for up to a year may have died from carbon monoxide poisoning. Named locally as Nicholas and Hilary Smith, they were last seen so long ago that neighbours believed they had moved out. The couple who bought their house outside the village of Clonine County Tipperary about 10 years ago for around €190,000 had told a number of locals they were thinking of selling up. So when nobody saw them around, they just assumed they'd actually moved out. One line of inquiry understood to be explored by Gardaí is whether the couple may have died from carbon monoxide poisoning. But how sad. Always check on your neighbours and verify some activity if you can. COVID link probed as pensioner couple may have been dead for over 18 months. Uh, Ralph Regal and Conor Fian reporting in the Irish Independent. Gardaí investigating the deaths of two UK pensioners who are feared to have been dead in their home for 18 months now, not a year, 18 months, uh, are maybe looking at examining whether the COVID-19 virus played any role in that tragedy. Uh, tragedy. Uh, the Irish consumer prices make the front of the mail today. Irish consumer prices are 40% above the European average. And that's before counting this year's soaring inflation of 8.3%. Consumer prices in Ireland were among the most expensive in the EU last year, with the cost of goods and services a shocking 40% above the European average. Ireland ranked just behind Denmark for overall price levels in the block in 2021. 
New figures published by the European Commission show. And you expect Denmark to be expensive. We're just behind them. Uh, but the public will be feeling the pinch even more this year. Inflation reaching a 40-year high of 8.3% last month. And consumer experts said uh, Irish people have become conditioned to high prices and blamed high taxation rates for putting us out of step with Europe. The figures show an increase since 2016 when the same study put overall Irish prices at 29% above the EU average. Alcohol and tobacco prices in Ireland the most expensive among the 27 EU member states at more than doubled the average cost, 105% above the EU average. The Republic also had the third most expensive prices for food and non-alcoholic drinks at 19% above the EU average with only Luxembourg and Denmark dearer for common grocery goods. The 23% VAT rate in Ireland is the fourth highest in the EU. Health costs are the most expensive in the EU at 72% above average. And you could argue a non-functioning health system, or one that's certainly creaking at the seams. And communications costs are the third most expensive at 47% above the average. If we were in France, we'd probably be uh, in the middle of a revolution already. Housing, housing costs such as rents and mortgage repayments and prices for gas and electricity are again the most expensive, 89% above the EU average. And Consumers Association of Ireland Chief Dermot Jewell claimed... Uh, in uh, people in Ireland have grown to accept high prices, uh, but he told the newspaper, the Daily Mail, uh, and Irish Daily Mail, as comparisons are starting to come across again, I think it's upset a lot of people because we are so high in the ratings. Our levels of taxation, including VAT, are so high, it makes the cost of living out of step with uh, very, very many of our European counterparts. Uh, great reading. Uh, it starts on the mail front page today. Uh, once again, this story is taken up in the Irish Examiner. Uh, on their front page, the uh, housing and utilities almost 90% higher than the EU average, with the headline, Irish cost of living the highest in the EU, ten point, uh, sorry, 105% higher than the EU average. Uh, I'm just going through these figures again because they're shocking. For drinks and cigarettes, 88.5% higher for housing, 88% higher for utility bills like electricity and gas, 46.5% higher for the likes of broadband and mobile phone costs, 39% higher for travel by air, train or sea, 29.5% higher for hotel stays and eating out. And we won't even get into the VRT tax we have to pay, uh, which is putting our car prices way above those uh, on mainland Europe. And according to Eurostat, if the price level, in- level index of a country is higher than 100, the country concerned is relatively expensive compared with the EU average. Number one for rip-off gargle, uh, that's the Sun's take. Of course, they concentrate on the alcohol. Costliest drink in uh, EU, Mark May reporting that Ireland is the most expensive country in Europe for booze and fags. And uh, consumer prices in Ireland staggering 40% above the EU average. No sucking diesel, says the Mirror's front page today. Irish motorists could face fuel rationing and long queues on four courts by autumn. It's feared. EU Commissioner Moraid McGuinness warned a squeeze on petrol and diesel could be a reality as Ireland faced an increased energy risk like in the 1970s. Last night it emerged Michal Martin is aiming to make a trip to Ukraine, admitting he's worried about rising costs caused by the war. The AA's Paddy Cummins said for some people... Their car remains essential, and the prospect of rationing would be a real worry. And uh, as McGuinness said, the Commission would be keeping a watching brief for now, uh, while they may do more at a future date. Interesting uh, interjection um, between Michael Healy-Ray and Taoiseach Micheál Martin 
uh, on the uh, tax take, uh, the hundreds of millions in tax taken in the last month, uh, and the soaring prices of uh, petrol and diesel. And then Leo is in a promise of a huge blowout. Tónishta Leo Varadkar has promised a record budget spending bonanza worth billions to help people survive a winter of uh, sky-high energy bills and inflation. The Fine Gael leader has vowed to aim the country's beefed-up financial firepower at the cost of living crisis by increasing pensions and welfare by more than last year's €5 Euro a week and slashing income tax. When is Leo taking over the Taoiseach's role? Is it this August or next August? I don't know. Uh, on Monday, government leaders received a detailed briefing on the state of the nation's finances from Finance Minister Pascal Donoghue and Public Expenditure Minister Michael McGran. On the back of this meeting, Leo told reporters that Ireland's coffers are in tip-top shape thanks to a record-breaking tax intake with more people at work now than ever uh, before, after the pandemic slump. Uh, other newspapers reporting there will be a huge pay increase for pub, uh, top public servants of uh, 15%. Imported Japanese cars are being targeted as thefts surge in the city. Car thefts are at a seven-year high, senior Gardi have said, with Japanese imports being a particular target for thieves. Uh, May this year saw the most thefts of cars nationally in a single month, since October 2015, the June quarterly meeting of the Cork City Joint Policing Committee, the JPC, was told this week. Car thefts in Cork were described as featuring high on national figures behind Dublin, Kildare, Meath and Louth, however. Thieves are targeting specific makes and models of vehicles imported from the Asian market because those cars are not fitted with immobilizers. The JPC meeting was told and Gardaí declined to identify any specific makes or models of Asian imports being targeted by thieves, but said the vehicles were from Japan and uh, advised owners to invest in old-style steering locks to deter thieves. Anything that will deter them, of course, or slow them down may make them move on. Children as young as eight watching porn on phones. A Cork organisation is battling a spike in pornography addiction as it endeavours to help an average of 60 people a week with problematic sexual behaviour. Psychotherapist at Cork Sexual Health Centre Donald Clifford, who runs the organisation Sex and Love Therapy, SALT, a group therapy programme, reported a 350% increase in service uh, users presenting with problematic sexual behaviours since the onset of the pandemic. Of course, you give your child a mobile phone, and uh, anything but anything is uh, accessed, uh, depending. I know you can put controls and uh, that kind of thing and uh, parental warnings on it, but uh, it's pretty much easy to look at anything. And pornography can be the same as any gateway drug, warns an expert. Mr. Clifford explained how children can be exposed from a very young age. Uh, any child from sixth class upwards has a smartphone. If you block it on their phone, chances are they will still be able to view it on another child's device. And that could be the hook for them. The effect this is having on the brain long term is where the real issue is. And abuse towards the elderly is an appalling situation. Uh, we'll finish with this one for now and come back to more of the papers during the programme. The Echo reporting and Sarah Horgan writing that a Cork advocate has spoken about how older people have confided in him about their experiences of severe, sometimes violent, elder abuse after, uh, after threats left them too frightened to approach Gardaí. Positive ageing advocate Patty O'Brien, a good friend of the programme, referred to one disturbing case of an older woman being physically abused by her son in an attempt to extort money. He wanted the money for drugs, Mr O'Brien explained. If she had said no to him, he would kick her in the shins. She said that he would hurt her anywhere the marks couldn't be seen because if she had a swollen face, people would begin to ask questions. Another man stole his mother's purse. However, his excuse was that she was constantly forgetting 
where she put it down. Mr O'Brien's remarks follow the launch of the HSE National Safeguarding Office annual report, uh, which recorded a total of a whopping 11,000 640 cases of alleged abuse last year. Once again, up 10% on the uh, previous year. Those are the uh, main stories in the morning papers today. To the phone lines, we go next. Cork's number one talk show, The Neil Prendeville Show on Red FM. And a very good morning, our first call of this uh, run of The Neil Prendeville Show with myself, Mick Mulcahy. Good morning, Danielle. Hi, how are you? I'm very good. Always nervous on the first one. Help me out, will you? Um, I say, so this is our situation. Me and my partner have been homeless the last two days. We've been sleeping on the street. Um, we went to Simon's Nightlight last night. We couldn't get in because we're not priority over being on the county list. So they, we had to sleep on the street again. Um, we didn't sleep in the city. We slept at the outskirts because it's too dangerous to be sleeping in the city. We need to, I don't want to say where because I don't want to put ourselves in danger. And okay. The way we were treated in the county council Monday was disgraceful. We got treated like second-class citizens. It was just awful. Like, we're in a really bad predicament right now. We don't even know what to do. What okay, to let's, do. Let's, let's concentrate on your current predicament in a moment. Can you give us the, the, the story up to now? What, what's been happening up to now, and why do you find yourself in this situation now? We just have nowhere to go. We have no home. Did you ever no. have somewhere to stay? We did, but we can't be there anymore. Okay. And how, how long yeah. have you been homeless? Just in the last two days. And you're not priority to go into the likes of Simon, is that correct? Yeah, because we're not city council, we're county. And is there anybody in the, in the county council area with authority to help you? No, they, they were not nice to us. They, I, had, I got a letter from Threshold stating that because we had to get validated to tell us, to get validated, sorry, to give it to them. They wanted us to get validated from Threshold that were homeless and they said it wasn't good enough. But surely you have somebody that you know that will give you a corner, a couch, a mattress no, and a pillow? No, we have nobody. All we have is each other right now. Why is that? I don't know. No, we have nobody. We have no one. We only have each other. We okay. don't drink. We don't do drugs. I work up here. I, I have a job and I don't want to lose my job. So if you have if you have a job, could you not take a couple of nights in a B and B or something? No, because it's only a part time job. I don't have enough money for it's only two three days a week. I don't have enough money. Do you have skills? Could you look for a living job, maybe in a hotel? Pardon? Do you have skills that would allow you to look for maybe a live in job in a hotel? I don't think so. Okay. So you're not on the council list. You're not a prior- I'm in the process of being underneath his council list at the minute. Okay, but not the city of the county council, is it? The county council, yeah. And now I'm afraid that they're going to deny my my um, my forms, even though I'm working up here. And you know. Okay. Do you want to tell us? Maybe- I'm a bit nervous being on the phone. That's no problem. I'm nervous as well. It's my first day back, and it's months since I did it. Uh, do, you, do you want to tell me? There's no space in your dad's house. I'm told. Um, no. And your mom has sent you out of the home. Can you tell us a little about that without without yeah, going into so too much detail? The, um, I can't be in the house. It's overcrowded. It's only two bedroom. Like I've been on the 
I was sleeping on a bloke mattress in the kitchen, but I can't have that. They can't have that anymore. And um, the other situation, uh, I don't really want to get into it. Okay, that's fair enough. So you were at risk of being homeless without intervention, and that's been validated yes, by threshold. that's been validated by threshold. It's been validated. It's on a piece of paper and everything. Okay, and are the council involved as well in maybe looking for a barring order or something against one of the people involved here? Yes, and I was on to TDs. I told Focus Ireland and Threshold, and they said that that shouldn't be relevant. Like, they shouldn't be telling us to do that. Mm-hmm. Is your partner working? No, at the minute. He suffers bad with his mental health. And you say the council were extremely rude to you and now you've nowhere to turn to? Yes, they were extremely rude. Slammed down papers on the table. I showed them the threshold. Taking my phone, she slid my phone across the table at me saying it wasn't good enough. Like, we got treated like dirt. Like, we're not like that. We're very quite respectful people. Okay. We really are. Now, you you have a part-time job, Danielle, do you? Yeah. Okay, and, and what days of the week are you working there? I'm um, usually Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Okay. How, and sometimes Saturday and Sunday, it depends. And how, how are you handling personal hygiene living on the street? Well, right now, right now, I don't know. I haven't, this is what I mean. I'm going to lose my job because I can't even wash myself. Wow. You know, and I don't want to lose my job. It's the only thing that's keeping my head occupied because myself, I suffer from anxiety and depression. And, like, I, it's the only thing that keep high in my mind. So you're obviously agitated mentally and you're obviously preoccupied and worried. You're fretful. You know, maybe you don't feel in the the right state of cleanliness to go back into work. Uh, Can you take time off if your employer is listening right now? I can ring them like, but I can see. I'm so scared, like, we're just so scared. We don't know what to do. We don't know who to turn to. We just feel lost. How old are you guys? 25 and 26. And has your, par- has, your, like? has your partner received treatment or counselling for or assistance yeah, he, in, in the mental health he, area? He, yes, he does. He sees a psychiatrist as long as same as myself. So if you, got, if you guys got a live-in job, what, what could you promise a prospective employer? Would you be diligent and hardworking? We would. And does your partner's mental issues, um, have, you know, have, would, would there be any reason for an employer not to be interested in your partner? I think so, and he doesn't have much experience either. Yeah. It's a very difficult situation. What are you hoping for by, by coming on publicly here, I, Danielle? I don't know. I just said I'd come on and tell my story because I, I didn't know where to tar- turn to. I don't know where to turn to, what to do. Like, I don't know. Like, uh, uh, don't even know. Like, what, what's there to live for? Like, they're not here for us. Our governments do nothing for us. I feel like a second-class citizen in our own country getting turned away and getting shouted at and everything and we're very respectful people we don't even drink we don't do drugs how, how do you how do you think you got into this situation we, I we got into the situation I don't know how we got into the situation it was it, it, this situation it, it had not to do with us 
person. He had nothing to do with us, this situation. We just got put into this ugly situation. And we didn't even do nothing to be put in this ugly situation. You get what I mean? Okay. So the situation isn't of your making. I, I, I get the impression there may, be, there may be trouble and strife with different family members, yeah? Yeah. Okay. So you are where you are. You're in this situation. I just wonder, I'm, I'm at a loss as to who could help you or how they could help you. Do, do you yeah. know your employer well enough to go and explain your situation? Ask, I do. A, ask them, you know, just say, this is our last resort. Uh, yeah. I, I need a shower. I, I, I need to freshen up and I, I, and I want to work. And, I, and could you give me more hours? And I'll work them and I'll happily work them. Yeah. At the moment, I can only work the part-time hours. I just don't want to get into that either. On air. Yeah. You're, you're, and what, what would sort you out in the, in the short term? Accommodation in Simon? A kind offer I, from a listener to, to help you out? We were just looking for emergency accommodation till we get up on our feet to get a place to rent. I have been applying for places on Daft.e as I know everybody's in the same situation. No landlord is getting back. I understand there's a big housing crisis. But we just want to like have a life. We want to settle down. You know, we're supposed to be getting married soon and I just want to die. I just don't feel comfortable in this country. And I just feel lost. I don't even know what to do anymore. I don't know what to do. I feel helpless. We feel helpless. Would you, would you ring the Samaritans for me, Daniel? A, a, a very kind listening ear, a shoulder to cry on, and, and, and support and positivity at the end of a line. Can I, can I, I, I texted, spun out and stuff, you know, that thing. But they only referred, they only gave me stuff to focus Ireland and stuff, and I've been doing that. Okay, you, you, you seem to me like you're in a very precarious position yourself mentally now, and I don't want yeah. any harm to come to you, so, uh, so somebody needs to reach out and help you. We, we, yeah. we can publicise, but we can't really help. So yeah. that's our plea. If there's anyone out yeah. there with the skill sets and the inclination to help here. Um, but by, by the way, will you remember this number? 116-123. 116-123. That's the yeah. number of the Samaritans. And there's always a listening ear at the end of that phone, okay? Uh, and they'll yeah. help you get back into a more positive frame of mind. And they may be able to suggest areas we can't uh, where you can seek solace and support. We've been trying everything. Everything we've been trying. And we just feel like there's no more hope and there's no more help. We're lost, like. Well, pe people out there are on your side. We have one particular text from a listener who wants to remain nameless. Listen to this. Good morning, Red FM. I'm so upset for the poor girl, Danielle, on air now. Please ask her to make contact with her family doctor and ask for an appointment with the local community link worker. And also ask her to contact the RTB. Uh, councils can't be treating Irish citizens like this. So... Do you have a family doctor you can go to? Yeah, and I have to ring them. Uh, and ask there for an appointment with the local community link worker. Um, yeah. In, in, in the meantime, we, we'd like to keep on top of your case. And, and, okay. and, and at least you have one f f channel of communication here back to us, okay? So okay. I, I, I know the guys have your mobile number. Uh, and and we, will, we will check in with you periodically. But for now, would you ring the Samaritans on 116123? Okay, and we'll do our best to find you something. Keep the chin up, stay positive. Um, things will get better. I know it's you're at the lowest ebb right now, uh, but the only way is up. Yes. Okay, stay positive, take a breath. People out there are caring for you. 
give the Samaritans a call for some more advice. One one six one two three, and uh, get an appointment with your local community link worker through your local, your own personal doctor. And yeah. look, you never know what will happen now today. Okay. Okay. So stay in touch with us, and we'll stay in touch with you, Daniel. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106, Red FM. Coming up on, uh, just gone actually, 25 to 10 on this Wednesday morning, June 22nd. Good morning to Shannon. Hi, Shannon. Whoops, sorry, my fault. Shannon there? No, it doesn't. It seems like Shannon has dropped. Uh, let me go to an interesting story from the papers while we try to get Shannon back on the line there. Ed Sheeran has often been uh, accused of copying other people's songs. Uh, this time he's fought back, though. Ed Sheeran and his co-songwriters have been awarded a million euros in legal costs after winning a high court copyright trial. The singer and his co-writers, who were Snow Patrol's John McDade and producer Stephen McCutcheon, faced an accusation before a judge. At court in March, he was uh, accused that their hit Shape of You... That song resembles so many songs, to be fair. Uh, ripped off a 2015 song by Sammy Shokri and Ross O'Donoghue. However, Mr. Justice Zaccaroli concluded Mr. Sheeran neither deliberately nor subconsciously copied a phrase in the tune. And uh, the judge ruled that the lesser-known songwriter should pay legal costs, ordering an interim uh, payment of one million. Another hearing is due to finalise the sum. Uh, do we have Shannon back on the line? Let's see, uh, this is a story about a car that uh, was bought back in February uh, and only ha- after having it two months, it was broken into on her driveway on Connacht Avenue. Uh, trying to get Shannon back on the line, but uh, still endeavouring to do that. Uh, line three, okay, we got you back. Uh, Shannon, good morning. Hi, how are Sorry you? Sorry about that. No, you're grand. I don't know what happened. <laughs> Not to worry. Uh, you bought your for- first car back in February. That must have been an exciting time. I remember my one back in the 80s. Mine was a van, actually. Yeah. I couldn't afford a car. Yeah, no, I loved it. It was a little um, Nissan March, the Japanese version of a Micra. Okay. We were just talking um, about Japanese cars being broken into in the, in the newspaper review. Yeah, that's something I didn't know when I bought the car. Obviously, I was kind of clueless. I literally just saw it on Dundee up in Dublin and just bought it. Okay. Um, so, yeah, but when it was broken into, the guards did tell me that there had been a massive surge in break-ins with the Japanese cars because apparently a lot of them don't have immobilizers. So yours was an automatic Nissan March, which is kind of a yeah. Japanese version of the Nissan Micra. It is. It's the same thing. It was just manufactured in Japan. Okay, so what but was damaged or taken? So basically they just kind of, they got a crowbar and just kind of bent out the door um, and kind of the paint has cracked on the door. I was quoted 600 euro just to fix the door. And then they took out the ignition barrel and then they tried to hotwire it. Um, but I kind of thought it would be a simple job, the ignition barrel. But I have taken it to two mechanics and they've kind of told me it's nearly a write-off job. The part is like seven, six to 700 euro and you just can't find them. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I didn't realise that. Um, so yeah, that's it. I'm just, I've kind of been looking like the last two months for the parts, like my poor mother's heart's broken, ringing scrapyards, and it's just it's yeah. very difficult. So a- anybody out there in car breakers or in motor factors or in spare parts that are listening, the part, to be specific, is an ignition barrel for an automatic 07 Nis- Nissan March keyless K12 series. Is it not possible to put another uh, different barrel and key in, into the car, no? 
Yeah, well, I've, well, I'm actually from Mayo myself and I was speaking to my mechanic back in Mayo and he thinks you can, but it's just my mechanic here doesn't think we can. So I am kind of open to getting one just with a key, but you need to have a straight barreled ignition as well. It can't be curved. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's just all these things, like being automatic, being a straight barrel, all these things are kind of making it a, you know, much harder to find. Well, I, I could recommend a mechanic. In fact, I could recommend many mechanics. But I tell you one thing, if I gave out their numbers on the air, they would kill me. Uh, they're absolutely yeah, inundated with work, booking it out three and four days, or weeks in advance. Um, okay, so we put out an appeal for the part. You've been looking for the past five weeks. Have you been without your car for all that time? Yeah, I have. It was it was such bad timing. I had literally just been out driving with my friends the Friday night and I booked my driving test for a month's time. Uh, and it was broken into that night. No driving test. So, yeah, so no driving test. I've had to delay that now again. Could you not do it so, in your instructor's car or anything, no? So he only has a manual and I'm going automatic. Uh, okay. I'm going the easy route. <laughs> yeah, you should, go, you should go manual. It'll stand to you for life. Enjoy, know, enjoy the automatics in later years then. Okay, hang on a second. James is on line one. Hi, James. Morning, Mick. How are you? Good. Can you help? Well, I'm just just something I listened to from um, an expert. I suppose we're all experts of a kind. But regarding safety and car and what's happening at the moment now regarding the stealing of cars, most of the cars being stolen are Japanese imports because a lot of them seem to, allegedly, according to him, come into the country with no immobilizer fitted. It's not compulsory to fit a mobile an immobilizer in Japan because they don't have a lot of car thieves in Japan for a start. Okay, it's a very low crime area. It, uh, obviously, obviously that is it. And the, the the guys and girls and whoever do it have caught on to this very quickly. Now, the other thing that was uh, surprising was um, he talked about electric, the new electric cars and the fob or the car that you put in to start them. Mm-hmm. So it appears that they are quite easy, again, according to him, to to access. If you, they have some um, contraption, and if they can pick up the signal of the card inside the house, they can bounce a signal to the car, fool it into thinking you're in the car, and drive away. Yeah. It's it's probably much like the zapper, as I call them, for electric gates. If you have a zapper yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you hit the button yeah. to open the gates, that can be red, and uh, that that signal, which is only an RF, a radio frequency signal, that c- could be just yeah. recreated and voila, the gates open, in come the thieves. Yeah, but, but that's it. Like, I mean, and those are state-of-the-art, like, I mean, modern, and nobody thinks of things like that. Now, there is a, a, there is a product you can get called, uh, it's like a little wallet, and if you have your keys in that, they cannot get, uh, send a signal. That yeah. was one of the things that he was recommending people get for electric cars. But with the Japanese, he was his his advice was get something simple like a chain or a, a steering lock or whatever or a Rottweiler maybe I don't know. Yeah. But there is a weakness there, and you should go back to who you bought them from and ask them to see if there is an immobilizer fitted, and if not, they should get one fitted because that's the first step in security. Yeah, I wonder what the cost of fitting an immobilizer to a non-immobilizer car is. Uh, he said 150 to 400. Okay. And maybe, uh, you know, to give to give purchasers advice, if you are buying a Japanese car, you should find out has it got an immobilizer and factor that into the price. Because and it's not like any sort of con that they haven't got them in it. They just don't come with them because it's only compulsory apparently in the EU, I think, and maybe some other continent 
that you have to compulsorily fit uh, an immobiliser to a car. We have to, uh, the ones imported into the EU have to have immobilisers, but not in Japan. Would you have any advice for Shannon, James, as to what she should do about the, the missing barrel and ignition barrel for her automatic 07 Nissan March? Well, like, I mean, did she go back to the dealer? Shannon? No, I haven't got on to the dealer. Um, I'm sure the dealer would have a trace. Sorry, Shannon. I'm sure the dealer would have a trace back to the importer, who usually carries or is able to trace um, a supply of spare parts, because that would be fairly common. Like, what you're looking for would be quite common. Now, the chance okay. of getting it in the ordinary breakers, but there are some specialized breaker, Japanese breaker breakers online. If you go online, you'll see some of them yeah. online. Yeah, no, I've been onto them all, and actually, my boyfriend's over in Birmingham, and there's a lot of Japanese breakers there. He's looked there. Um, which is no, no. quite a tough part to find. Yeah. James, thanks a million. Shannon, well, no I've, we, we'll finish up with this. Uh, you, you're, you're immobile at the moment. You can't do your, your driving test. I just wonder, is there any mechanic out there who might suggest a solution? Let's say we can't find the part. Uh, can there be a jury rig system, if you like, uh, a secondary type of barrel and ignition put into the car? I mean, if the thieves are able to start it, surely you could get a, a push button or a, you know, I, I think you want to go for a physical key this time. Um, and yeah, and do, well, do you take... Do you take the point on board that these uh, steering immobilizers should be fitted just as a deterrent anyway, if you don't have your electronic one? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, the mechanic can get my car started with a screwdriver at the minute. So I kind of figured that any kind of ignition barrel would work, but it doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah. Maybe someone else would know out there. The the key is only connecting a current to, to fire the starter motor to kick up the engine. Um, and so that that's how the thieves would probably have started it anyway with a screwdriver knowing what they were doing um, so we'll put it out there for you Japanese cars by law don't need an immobiliser because crime is so uh, rare there they're far more trustworthy apparently we need one here because our crime is of, of a higher incidence so if there's any technician any electrical engineer uh, anyone who can even give a temporary solution to Shannon we'd be uh, grateful if you get in touch with us on the programme on 0818 for now Shannon you keep looking Yes, I will. Thanks so much. No problem. Thanks a million. Once again, it's an ignition barrel we're looking for for an automatic 07 Nissan March keyless, uh, the K12 series. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's Red FM. And it's coming up on 10 minutes to 10. Uh, some text to the programme on 0868104106. And David Gray was at the David Gray gig on Saturday night, an outstanding gig. The only fault was the cost of food, and especially the €7 Euro pints. I think it's time that everyone is feeling the pinch, that uh, at this time, when everyone's feeling the pinch, €7 Euros for a drink is just rubbing salt into the wounds. And it was flat as well. It wasn't even a proper pint. Uh, cheers. Uh, hi Mick, that guy who was in court for assault, kicking someone in the head, uh, was concerned if he got a conviction it would affect his travel plans. He should have thought of that before kicking someone in the head. Uh, I'm not sure how old this text is, a day or two. Diesel in Lissavert Co-op in Lyre uh, is 203.9. Uh, in Liss Carroll Village, 209.9. Uh, I saw one local uh, supply forecourt station, whatever you call it, petrol station, uh, jump from 202 to 216 uh, in the space of morning to evening. 202 
216. Uh, on the subject of the guards, hi Neil, on the news, uh, it said Cork is down 15 Garda in three years. Uh, then why the hell are guards inside walking around at concerts? I was at three over the past week and the guards are walking around. There's no need to ha- for them to be there. Don't you think the security of this private-run concert should be uh, paid for uh, as private security, not public money with supplying guards? Uh, one more for now. We'll go back to our phone lines on rentals. There are a lot of places to rent in Dublin uh, where people rent the rooms during the week only. I worked here for a while and I worked with people from Cork and Galway who lived there during the working week only. And it was cheaper that way. Normally, the landlord would be living in the place themselves in this situation. And uh, on the price of a room rental, my dad lived alone. He's in his 60s. And because of the cost of living crisis, he was forced to rent out a room in his house. He does have the no smoking, no big drinkers rule, etc. But it's awful, as he's so used to living on his own. And now he's got to get used to living with a guy in his 30s. But he couldn't pay his bills or even survive without the extra income from renting a room out. I wonder when we go down the Japanese route of uh, having little pods that you slide into and sleep in and get your privacy and get your sleep. Uh, so now we're blaming the British and the famine for our high rental prices. I find it interesting how you're so, you are so quick to blame the British for our problems, but never mention when they are welcoming to the people going over there for work. Neil, these, uh, these texts come into Neil over the last few days. Neil, these rents are nothing but landlord's greed and it's been going on for years, the same as rip-off insurance companies, rip-off trades hotels, childcare, supermarkets and nearly every aspect of living in Ireland. The one thing we all have in common is uh, they know they will get away with it. And so says Desi. Let's go to Daniel in line two. Morning, Daniel. Hello. Hello. Daniel, you had a good experience with the CUH. I had. I had. I'd like it. to just publicly thank them all for looking after me. On Friday, I had a heart attack and uh, oh. I was inside the CUH for 20 to 1 and I was... Uh, processed and everything by about five to one. Uh, the, the operation team, um, Dr. Ross Lavery and Mr. McFadden, looked after me, and I had an operation that evening. And I just wanted to thank all the staff that uh, looked after me. They're really the cardiac nurse from the A&E and the nurses in 3B and the security man column there that was very helpful as well. And uh, it was just an experience to say that you're waiting days to be seen. Like I said, they looked at me straight away. And I mean, say, they don't hear, you don't hear enough about the good side of the stories of the COH or the health service, you know? Yeah, because they're, they're angels. When, when they're you have to put yourself... Unbelievable you, people. In a It was like a television show that got into action so fast. Every, every nurse and every person in there knew exactly what to do. And basically, like, I wouldn't be down to the only for them. Yes, well, it, it's, it's a triage system. Uh, so your your access to the, the, the care you need is defined on, I, I guess, immediate risk. Uh, immediate you, risk, yeah. yeah. But I mean, say, I, I still had to go through the process of going in, booking in, waiting. And I said there was about six in front of me. And they just went, within 10 minutes, they had me sitting in a chair, giving me the right medication to keep me going. Until my bloods came back to confirm I was having a heart attack, you know. Daniel, can you tell me about the experience of having a heart attack? You had a bypass 10 years ago, I believe. You, I got, had. you got a bit of a blockage. What did the heart attack feel like? Um, well, it wasn't pain anyway. It was a tightness like a bear hug. Okay. Um, and people would, might think that they'd ignore it, that it might be indigestion or something like that. But don't ignore it because a heart attack isn't, isn't always a pain that you'll get. It's a tightness in your chest. Like there's somebody squeezing your chest. Okay. 
And what happened to me was that one of the graphs that they did 10 years ago for my double bypass uh, got blocked. It happens to people. Unfortunately, it happened to me. Uh, I got out of the right side of it. I was I went in with a 98% blockage. Uh, I got to the hospital in time. Uh, I didn't wait for an ambulance. My wife drove me in. And they, I was lucky on the cardiologists and everything, but they are ready to look after me, you know. So what, what did you do when, when you walked up to the reception there? You say, I'm having a heart attack. Yeah, well, I didn't say that. I, uh, first thing, you get the COVID, I had your COVID now that when you go in first. Then you go up and you get a ticket and say, oh, I just said, look, I think I'm in trouble. Uh, I was just repairing my uh, soreness in my chest. Uh, I had a double pay, I told them in my history. And they said, sit down and wait. And then I went back up to the list and I said, it's getting worse. And with that, another nurse from the door came in and straight into any, and they came out and they wheeled me in, uh, or they walked me in and assessed me straight away. I went into the other part of the any, and the cardiology nurse gave me the spray and the aspirin and all that to keep me going. In fairness, they did a COVID test in 20 minutes on me. They, they did my bloods back in uh, within two hours. All the time, they were treating me look at but when it was confirmed I was having a heart attack there was about six nurses came in then around me each one of them had a job one for putting on the paddles on my chest one putting in my the, uh, the lines I need and all that it was like a scene from a, a medical program on television you know mm-hmm. it was absolutely uh, fantastic the way that they came into action you know yeah, Dan- and they're under pressure is- I know they don't have a lot of room inside and they need to operate to be doing their job right like that I see the paramedics come in from the ambulance company, which are great, great people as well. Um, they, you know, they, they, they hold, they, they, the people are there, but the system is wrong. Do you know what I mean? They have the expertise. Um, it's just that they, they, they need to do something about giving the staff, you know, a bit better working conditions, really, you know? Yeah, is, is that a shame, really, that the glaring inadequacies of the health service and the, you know, the over... Uh, staffing of the higher management levels, it would seem, often takes away from the individual and team efforts that work miracles each and every day, as they Absolute, did for you. Absolutely, I'm only a public patient. Uh, like I don't have five staff BHI or anything like that. But I, I only said it the other day that some of these management people should go over to hospitals in Boston or Canada or something like that and have the experience of how they operate over there. Because people come in every day with gunshot wounds in, in America and they can cope with it. Here, they, they, they cannot, they don't have the expertise or how to put a system in line for their staff, you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, well, uh, ha- hats off to... I think there's something like 24 admissions the night before in A&E. Like, that's how to cope with, you know? Yeah, Daniel, i got to go. We've got news like coming up. And and like that, you yeah, know? hats off to all in the, in the CUH and all in the A&E triage team for what they did to you on Friday. Dr. Lavery and all the nurses and in 3B, the coronary care unit, especially Bernie there, was very good to me. And I just, it was an experience that should be outlined. All right. And say, you know, fair play to everybody. Thanks, Daniel. Best look to all of them and thank them. Thank you. Cheers. Good morning. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Eight minutes past ten. Good morning from The Neil Brinderville Show and good morning to Timmy. Hi, Timmy. How's it going? I'm good. Now, your mother had a pretty serious surgery. 
She did, yeah. She uh, yeah. She did a 12-hour abdominal uh, surgery for pancreatic cancer in February. Wow. Yeah. How did it go? Uh, well, she passed away in the 29th. Of oh, I'm sorry March. to hear that. I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the uh, prognosis for the surgery was that she was probably going to get another year, but she got about five or six weeks. Pancreatic is the, is the big one, though, isn't it? They they say that, yeah. Mm. So her, I'm just ringing on the back of that last chap, Daniel, who who had a very positive experience in the CUH and Amy, and you know, I'm, I'm very happy that he's hearty and healthy, and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, I get the I get the impression trouble. you're about to tell me yours wasn't quite so pleasant. <laughs> well, I, I'm just ringing to give my mother to to, to kind of express what I know of my mother's experience from other family members telling me as well. So essentially, she when she was in, she was in there for about four weeks in in the Mercy uh, in February, and she she had the 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 op. No, she nobody could visit her. I think my dad was getting a half an hour once a week with her, but nobody else could visit her. Was that so because of this serious situation, or was it because of COVID related issues? Um, it was just do with right the the, the, the COVID. Um, the, the COVID regulation, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, my father was doing all the laundry and everything. That's, that's, that's I don't know if that's normal. Um, and also, he was like, so uh, the, the, the key to this is that, like, when when she was in ICU, um, she, she was brought to the toilet at one stage. And it transpired she was left in the toilet for close to two hours unattended in ICU, you know, is the information that I have. Wow. Um, so uh, that, that's like she, she, she was on private. Uh, she had VHI up to gold plated VHI, let's put it that way. The five, the five star cover. Five star cover. And she, she was a lady in her, in her uh, she's 71 years of age, so she raised raised a, a, a gaggle of children through the 80s and, and 70s and um, this is the treatment she gets at the end of her towards the end of her life from when you say she was locked in a toilet when you say she was locked in a toilet is that because she couldn't she couldn't gain her own exit yeah as I said unattended yeah yeah okay yeah so you know uh, abdominal surgery Sitting on a toilet for two hours, can't imagine that's uh, a comfortable situation to be in, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, um, it's cruel, is what it is. The, system, the system's failing, and, and uh, uh, I, would, I would put her uh, experience down to tantamount tank, tank to kind of like tortures, torture someone receiving the Middle Ages, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you take my point, though, that uh, there are individual miracles happening in, in, in this system, that there are... There are other Florence Nightingales in there that are giving their all to keep the system going and, uh, you know, have the right noble attitude towards the provision of health care. Um, but they seem to be swamped by bureaucracy and red tape and uh, expense at the top level. Well, the budget for the HSE is $22 billion a year, so I think there's criminal activity going on at this point. It's so it's the level of incompetence in the managerial uh, aspect of the HSE. I, I, I know I know plenty of nurses and they're decent people, but I think the folder holders are the issue. And um, if it was a 
private sector, I'd say, there'd be a massive uh, redundancy across across the management aspect of. Well, the HSE was meant to be the the solution for our problems. Remember when the Southern Health Board was abolished in favour of this it's, it's not, national it's body. Not, it sounds to me like it's the final solution, quite honest. <laughs> oh. you know what I mean? So, so like, I'm not, I'm not a fan, you know. I'm not a fan. I, 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 I'll take your point that there's noble people uh, working in the HSE, but I also think that there's uh, people that are exploiting their position uh, for and milking the 22 billion, you know. And that's an issue for everybody in this space. Like, yeah, people just marking time. 22 billion. 22 billion. Are you sure of that figure, yeah? Yeah, 22 billion. A year. Wow. How, how did you eventually find and out? My mother, and my mother paid for private health, health cover all her life, right? So she wasn't a cost to the taxpayer and still got treated like, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the, tr- the service was, 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 was definitely below par. Like. So she was left yeah. unattended. Are you, say, are you saying she was forgotten? That's what I'm saying, yeah. Mm. But two hours on a toilet, you know, unattended. She, uh, I believe she had to make contact with home, home to ring into the hospital to kind of remind them that she was uh, in, in the lab toilet uh, when I was told she was shouting for, for assistance as well. God love her. Uh, so, she had a phone in the toilet with her, did she? I, I believe so, yeah. yeah. No, it's just kind of coming from a family member was telling me this. Okay. Because as you can understand, none of us could get in to see her, you know. So she had nobody advocating for her in there, you know. There's no advocate, there was no, who, who was advocating for patients during these restrictions? You know what I mean? And, and you know, the, oh. So, there, so there's, there's a crime in that in itself. But the, the blame know? COVID mantra will come out. Oh, we were, you know, we couldn't do this and we couldn't, you know, we didn't have enough staff because of COVID. But you can't leave somebody forgotten about in a toilet for two hours. Well, what, what did you do afterwards? Did you make any representations to the powers that be as to how this happened why it shouldn't happen again she died suddenly on the 28th of March so you know as you can understand um, uh, uh, it it's hasn't been an easy time for I, I know. know diagnosed in January surgery in February and passed away in March yeah. um, that must have been a whirlwind of emotions yeah I mean if you look into the two years of restrictions there was no cancer screening in the country so, like, there's a culpability there of um, of a duty of care with, with with government policy. Do you intend you know? to Do you intend to pursue this further? Um, I, I have been talking to the Serious Crimes Unit. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I thought you were going to say I was talking to my solicitor. No, 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 no. I've been talking to Serious Crimes mm. about what what's gone on. You know. Yeah, and, and, and you want to do that uh, in memory of your mum and the, and, the, and the way she was treated. Tell me a little about her. Um, uh, she was vivacious, is the best way to describe me with her. And she was very much like uh, the archetypal Irish mother, you know. She was everybody's mother. So our house would be full of friends. A whirlwind of friends coming in for sandwiches and sweets. Sandwiches, everybody got fed, you know. Yeah. Um, she, she helped family members and friends through leaving cert uh, helped them study in the back garden it was a ha- happy memory um, and uh, she uh, she also set up um, suic- the first suicide bereavement um, uh, counselling service in Ireland wow that was badly needed when it was set up I can tell you yeah 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 
So um, through the V, was it V, V, what was it called again? The VEC? Yeah, the VEC. So, you know, she was very active. Uh, she was very interested in politics and she, that kind of uh, rubbed off on all of us. We've all got an interest in history and politics, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, she was a, a fantastic mother. Her name is Sir. Have you made any political representations on her behalf? I've, I have, yeah. <laughs> I've made a lot of political representations on her behalf. Yeah, and and what are you getting? The standard stock answer is that we ha- we had to stop screening because of the COVID pandemic. I haven't even got that much. Okay, I've just got sorry for your loss, which is or condolences. You know, condolences yeah. emails back. That's what I'm getting. Okay. Well, my point, I think my point is quite um is is um as far as I'm concerned, you know, this is from talking from myself, no, not my mother. My mother was very uh, um was very uh trusting of what was being said over the last two and a half years. I, I personally I, I didn't trust what was being said over the last two and a half years, you know, and did my own research and um, so, you know, when I'm writing, you know, uh, to, to politicians and whatnot, you know, it, it's it, I'm writing from the angle that I believe that a crime has been committed, you know, over uh-huh. the last two and a half years. So. Yep. So some, yeah. somebody close to me who should have had bedsides up, an elderly person, uh, yeah. was put back into bed without the bedside up, fell out and did serious damage on the concrete ground. Yeah. Yeah. So there's one other aspect to this as well is that... Um, and that wasn't in the CUH, by the way. Yeah. Um, uh, around the time the boosters came out, I, I did go call out to my mom and I, I, I asked her not to get the booster, you know. Uh-huh. And she she said to me, no, 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 Tony Hooligan, he's the greatest thing ever. He, she thought Tony Hooligan was, you know, was saving the country, you know. But the, since I did a bit of research, there's a thing called glyce, glyce, glycoprotein um, 120KPA. And it's um, a HIV envelope that's on the spike protein that's in the um inoculation. Okay. So, so essentially... There's HIV in the inoculations, you know, the, from the 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 Cominarty one, you know. So I don't know. Did the HIV envelope have anything to do with it? I'm not too sure. Is, isn't it the case though that with every inoculation, you're getting a little bit of the you're getting a little bit of the disease or the fever that's going to protect you because the body will rally, the body will rally around fighting this, and then it'll have the experience to fight it again if if next it sees it. So, so how did HIV get into uh, um, the coronavirus? That's a new one on me now as well, I have to yeah. say. Yeah. So are you saying to me, so naturally, HIV naturally got into the coronaviruses? I'm not, I'm not saying that at all, but I'm, I'm wondering myself because it's the first I've ever heard of HIV, even in a protein so, spike. Well, if you go into your um, WhatsApp um, and you look at the information I've been sending into you, you'll see an awful lot of information uh, regarding... Um, what how the how the inoculations are made? Yeah. You know? Okay, it's my first day here, so uh, I I haven't been okay. across every single topic, so, but we will have a look. I, I thank you for your time, anyway. Uh, thanks, uh, Timmy. And uh, look, yeah. okay, it was a horrible experience. I'm so sorry yeah. for the loss of your mother. I know, yeah. I know you're probably hearing that from everybody. Uh, yeah. the, the treatment she got was not justifiable to someone who had no. not just her level of cover, but her her level of serious illness. Uh, yeah. And, 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 I, her level, and her level of service to the country. You know exactly. And her level of service because to, to humankind. She was, a, she was a Republican, you know, at heart. Yeah. 
and she gave us those, uh, she instilled those beliefs in us, you know. She believed in the country deeply. Yeah. What, what would she think now of great old Republic of Ireland? Well, towards the end of her life, she was believing everything Tony Hoolan was saying, so... A lot of people um, were, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, a lot of elderly uh, people took great faith and solace in his did. in it his did. nightly appearances because he yeah. he had a command of the, you know, the figures and of the trends and... Yeah, he, he was a, as, a, as, a dem, as a demographic, they were easily taken in. But, mm. you know, yeah. okay, just on that point, I, I think, and I would, I would say that Tony Holohan very quickly was thrust into a position as the most powerful civil servant in the history of the state. Um, and I'm not sure they're going. The politicians uh, particularly liked that, and I'm not sure they'll allow it to happen again. Well, hopefully not, because the legislation that was involved in, you know. He was operating around the uh, statutory instrument one two one. The emergency health legislation was repugnant to the constitution. Um, so therefore, um, everything that was done, like the masks mandates and people being kicked out of shops and you know police checkpoints, were all essentially unlawful. You know, mm. but that's 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 been heard in the high court in the next few weeks anyway. So. Yeah, you're you're well across the, uh, the topic, and I'm sure you'll do your mum's memory proud in, in in trying to do right by her. Well. Uh, it's yeah. I I have to kind of um, have to, have to be measured in my approach. Of course, because you, yeah. you you could very easily let let anger get in the way of reason. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Daniel, yeah. I appreciate the call. Thank you. Okay, no worries. Cheers. Thanks. Bye bye. Let's go in the other direction. A great experience. Uh, good morning, Eileen. Hello, Mick. Now you are uh, going to tell us about a very positive experience once again in the CUH yes. last Thursday. Yeah, last Thursday morning, coming, you know, around three o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. um, I had occasion to go down to the bathroom. Okay, and, um, that's a nice way of uh, saying I needed to go to the toilet. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and it's downstairs, you see, my bathroom is downstairs. Okay. Now, I do have a stair lift, but stupid enough, I didn't go down on it. Right. And when I went to come back up, I was caught in my tracks on the stairs with an overwhelming dizziness because I have this um, uh, this heartbeat, this missing heartbeat thing, and um, uh, I I got afraid, but eventually, anyways, kind of uh, ceased a bit, and I eventually got down backwards up the stairs and got back up on the stair lift and into bed, but I still wasn't bright. So I said, no, I'm not having this now. I, um, I rang my son straight away. Okay. And I said to him, I said, I'm not feeling too good today. get an ambulance pass, I? Wow, okay. And, That's uh, the call any, any son minutes, would dread, get, dread getting. Yeah, yeah. In 10 minutes, Mick, that ambulance was outside my door. And it had come from Pumai. Do you believe that? And my son came as well, and they took me out into the ambulance, and they were doing, you know, blood pressure and all that before. Got into the the, uh, hospital eventually. I'd say it was only an hour waiting before I was put into a nice little room. And um, they were were so attentive to me (laughs) the whole night. Can I ask your age, Eileen? Would it be rude of me? I'll be 82 next week. Wow. And um, Friday morning, I had a visit from the the um, the doctor. Now, they had all my notes, so they knew 
bought it. And um, they said, I had had tests done previously um, from kind of March until then. And whatever they saw, they decided then um, between another cardiologist to um, put in a pacemaker. Okay. And I don't know myself today, Mick. So your dizzy spells and the irregular heartbeat is gone, is it? Yes, for now, anyway. Whatever the pacemaker does. Was that was that under a general anesthetic? It was. It was. I was awake for it. I hear. Oh, so it's a localized one then. A localized yeah. one. Yes. 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 But uh, a thing that was only supposed to be in in and out for a day, I, they kept me in until Monday. So and treated I came you well. Home on Monday. Brilliant. Absolutely, Mick. Brilliant. Every one of them, the nurses. Oh, I, I can't speak um, enough about them. So, did you learn your lesson out. about the stairlift, Eileen? I think I it's, 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 it's probably I, the best thing to bring it down to the ground level. Uh, I don't know. Just in I case. Go up, I go up at night on it and I come down in the morning. And I don't have to go up anymore then because I kind of like, you know, what I do is myself. Yeah, your bathroom's on the ground floor. Down. Yeah. yeah, I bring my clothes down to get dressed. Of course, the, the other thing is, if, if you had come down the stairs as you did on foot and left the stairlift and your phone upstairs and couldn't get back up, now we're in trouble. Yes, yes. So always so bring your phone down when you're there. going to the loo. Yeah. Um, I didn't. I, I actually got back up eventually on the lift to bed again. Yeah. But bring, bring, bring the lift down in future, bring your phone with you just in case... But you seem to be right, hale and hearty now again. You've got a very regular I am, heart. Thanks to the God. I'm looking forward so to your 82nd birthday, are you? Uh, yeah, the 5th of July. Well, happy birthday in advance from all of us here on the and Neil Prendel Show. Thanks, for letting me talk to you. Well done. Thanks a million, Eileen. And happy birthday Thank you again too. for your Bye-bye. 82nd. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, you can call the program 0818104106 or a text is on 0868104106 on SMS or on WhatsApp. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. 29 minutes after 10 o'clock. I want to say a quick hello and goodbye to uh, friends of ours who've been visiting from Utah. And that is Darren and Noel Gray. And they came in last Wednesday uh, and kind of acclimatized with the jet lag. Uh, very kindly, uh, they were looked after by all the staff in uh, Tom Tobin's wonderful Rochestown Park Hotel. And then I think they squeezed in more in a week because they're leaving today for uh, London. Uh, and I don't think I can remember everything that was done. I was part of some of it. Other friends doing it as well. Uh, but they got a Kinsale. Uh, they got on a boat ride to uh, East Ferry, to Ahada. They went to Crosshaven for a meal. Uh, and they went to St. Finbar's Cathedral, out to kiss the Blarney Stone, went to Kerry, uh, to the Mills Inn in Ballyvorney. What wonderful staff uh, we have there. Uh, in fact, the staff undercharged us, and Darren spotted that and rang in, such as the guy he is, and said, you didn't charge us enough, and uh, we fixed that up as well. Brilliant food uh, in the Mills Inn in Ballyvorney. And on into Killarney, uh, down to Tom Crean's, in uh, in Ownskall, uh, Inch Beach, and uh, into Dingle. By the way, couldn't get a bed in Dingle uh, on Saturday night for love nor money. Uh, out around Slay Head, down to Kruger Cavanas, across to uh, Louis Mulcahy's Pottery, and over to the famous Tig and Tearshig in uh, Ballyferter, up the Connor Pass, uh, and uh, we spent a wonderful Saturday night uh, in a friend's house in Tarbert, where they were subjected to um, to much imbibing of uh, alcohol, even though they don't drink. 
Uh, they were watching everybody else doing it and saw an Irish sing-song and proper session. On the following day, they went to the Cliffs of Moher. Uh, may have squeezed in Bunratty, but certainly did uh, the uh, Muckras House uh, when they came back down Kerry Way uh, and saw the wonderful lakes of Killarney as well. Uh, and much, much more was uh, squeezed into the trip. So they've uh, they've seen more of Ireland than most would uh, if coming for a week. Uh, and I want to wish them all the very best as they fly out today. And I hope that Cork and Kerry has served, their, uh, served them well and the memories will last forever. Let's go back to our phone lines and to Adrian Novachinsky in Irish Deep Sea Charters. Hi, Adrian. Hi, how are you? Doing? Very good. I started getting videos from friends uh, around the uh, Glandor and Union Hall area last Saturday. Uh, and I didn't know what was going on, but I saw a massive rush of tide. And uh, this was obviously a very strange phenomenon because time and tide wait for no man. They're very regular. Uh, and, and you can predict tides years in advance as to what time and what height they'll be. But in the background of the video, I saw a sailing yacht over on its side. And I said, oh my God, this is something really serious because that yacht would be on a mooring where it wouldn't touch the bottom at low tide and now it's over on its side. That's a difference of some three or four feet at the very least. So what do you think was going on with the tides? Um, well, it seems to have been, I mean, the effect seemed to be like a, the forerunner to a tsunami and that the water emptied away. Um, I mean, it was still when I arrived at my mooring. Um, I was about to get off the boat and then it started to run just faster and faster. Um, to a point where faster than I had ever seen it go out of there. Um, and granted, this was based on, uh, it started at a low tide, so it should yeah. have been going out at all. Um, it, so it drained away and then flooded back a few minutes later, um, continued to flood in and out over the next hour, hour and a half. Um, the first one being the most kind of extreme. Um, but... It seems to be, most reports now seem to be saying that it's perhaps a meteor tsunami, um, so caused by some kind of a weather event, um, and perhaps amplified in harbours like Union Hall and Cork McSherry. Okay. Uh, um, Union Hall, Glandors, is kind of open to the south. Cork McSherry would be open from the east to the west. Um and this happened a number of times. I was wondering, was it, was it a, you know, an underwater subsidence of some magnitude? Um, I would have thought initially when I thought uh, when I saw what was going on, I was expecting to come home and hear about a pretty large earthquake at sea, or yeah. you know, like that in Spain or Portugal or the Azores or somewhere. Um, but nothing seems to really have showed up. Um, you know, that stuff's pretty well recorded these days, so uh, I haven't come across anything big as such. Um, now, most groups that have looked into it now have seemed to come back to say it was this phenomenon of a, of a meteor tsunami because uh, it was, there were effects felt in Wales and northern France as well apparently. Yeah, because I was in the East Ferry last Saturday and uh, I was on the water and I've never seen a run of tide. It was about 10 knots of tide uh, and that's, you know, that's kind of twice the speed that, that you would normally see. It was, it, it was amazing to watch. Yeah, um, it seems it dropped 70 centimetres in five minutes. And I think the normal rate is one centimetre per minute. Okay, because when, when water leaves a harbour as quickly as that, um, the first thing you think is there's a huge tsunami going to hit. Because it's, it's, it's going out to make power for the wave to come back in and crash on the shore. But that didn't happen. Well, there, what did come back was like a, a tidal bore. 
um, so there was a meet, about a meter level. Um, it wasn't a vertical face of a wave, but there was I could see it coming towards the back of the boat, a notable rise uh, level of water, which immediately flooded back in, picked all the boats up, and then it broke up across the mud flats like a like a tidal bore would on the Severn. Right. Okay. Um, so you could. So there was a there was a surge back, and then that continued on. I think it probably surged in for another five, maybe more, a few minutes, few minutes more than that. Um, then it settled for a little while. Uh, I made a, a go for the beach at that stage in the rowing boat. Yeah, because you have to um, make a go for it. If, if you're caught in that sort of a rush or a race, uh, you, you can do nothing but be swept along with it. Oh, absolutely not. I was actually, I hadn't made it to the beach. I had kind of stopped talking to some guys who had run aground in a yacht. Um, and as I started rowing back, it started to pick up against me. And I couldn't make headway anymore, but I was able to kind of move sideways along in towards the beach, and I just dragged the dinghy the rest of the way up to where I um, to where I got out. Okay, but, stay stay with me a moment. We have David on line four. Hi, David. Hey, how's it going? Very good. Now you were cleaning the hull of your boat. You you were moored at the local pontoon. Yeah, I was, I was actually it was actually my uh, my dinghy. I had upside down on the uh, on the pontoon itself. I was cleaning barnacles off, and uh, um, and, and I. I kind of thought it was strange because there was a guy about to recover his rib uh, with a trailer and he looked like he had kind of timed it right but I noticed the tide was going the wrong way but I thought, well, hang on, it's not low water yet what, how come it's flooding? And um, I didn't think too much of it except then when I finished cleaning the boat I went to, or the, or the rib, I went to put it in and there was kind of like about two foot of water on the inside of the pontoon, I thought, ideal and I literally pushed it across and it was mud. And I, I was kind of like, what? <laughs> you know? And my first thoughts were quite positive because I thought, great. So I just pushed her over the edge and I was able to fit the outboard on them while I was sitting on the mud instead of uh, kind of bouncing around. Uh, but back of my mind was kind of, you know, obviously those horrible Boxing Day uh, images that came from Thailand. And, sure, yeah. And uh, I was kind of like, mm, okay, engine's on, let's, let's get it. Um, and then the tide the came back in very quickly. Yeah, it did. It did, but the it, it was actually still going out at this point when I when I jumped up on uh, top of the pier. Then you could see the with the water coming down from Timber League further up was uh, you know a joke to the lads. We'll have to start a white water uh, rafting uh, business here because it was absolutely a torrent coming down. None none of us have seen anything like that. Even even when the river's been in flood and there's big spring tide. Um, We've never seen anything like that, the way yeah. it was coming out. Was now, anybody who was up at the bars and restaurants on the hill in Landor, one of the most special places in the world, would have spotted this because uh, was there people, local people, looking at the water and saying, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, I mean, I, I was at Colt Sherry, but it was, um, yeah, the people were coming out uh, from the houses around there and just all standing in the row. I was chatting to a couple of the uh, commercial commercial lads there. Um, and same thing, like you know, never seen, never seen anything close to that uh, happening. Now, yeah. Which, um, which kind of like for me, you know, going back to the cause, you know, we get atmospheric conditions, um, obviously, all the time, and they, 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 they do do some strange things. Personally, I, I just don't feel that was anything other than some sort of shift somewhere. Yeah. I know there was a small, obviously, the small earthquake off um, Portugal was a very small one. It was a much bigger one off Costa Rica, but. I still, I still think there must be some link into that um, Portuguese earthquake. It just seems the timing of it and so on. Um, at least off the coast, uh, even being small, it must have had some impact. Because you just don't see that. Uh, you know yourself, time on the water, 
Um, you know, you get used to all sorts of conditions. And I'm from Cardiff originally, so the, you know, the, the, the channel I've fished in the channel for years is in the Bristol Channel. You get used to, you get used to seeing the sort of small balls and so forth going up. Yeah. But, um, okay. yeah, this, this was different. Okay, and, and of course a tsunami worry was there. Uh, are, are you oh, yeah. in... Okay, but both, both of you guys have charters, so let, hang on a second, David. Let's go back to Adrian. Uh, give give a quick plug to your business, Irish Deep Sea Charters, Adrian. What do you do? Uh, um, yeah, we just run sea angling trips mainly, um, half and full days out of Union Hall. Um, it's just myself and my father run two boats there. Okay. Uh, in business long? Um, he's been there the last 30 years and I'm the last 10 years. Good life out of it? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's all, like I say, it's always nice on a nice day. Still strong demand? Uh, yeah, seems to be. A little quiet to start off this year. Yeah. I think people are a little bit uh, tight in the pockets, but it's uh, starting to busy up now. All right, Adrian. Every, every best wish with Irish Deep Sea Charters. David, your business? Uh, it's West Cork Charters. And I suppose similar to Adrian, the, for the main difference, we, we do a lot of research, um, a lot of research trips, so... So we were very busy early in the year with uh, scientists over from the States um, doing basking shark research. Uh, that's quiet now. So we do a lot of offshore stuff. We're kind of 60 miles off the last couple of days. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's good enough. It's, uh, it's busy enough anyway. Is, is it something a non-fisherman or fisherwoman can just jump into? Do you, would you have to graduate from sea angling up to deep sea? No, not really. In fact, um, strange enough, we, we do a good bit of um, shark research. We do a lot of tagging and um, work with Trinity College in particular. And we'll sometimes bring anglers along who, who may have never caught a fish. Mm-hmm. But bizarrely, they'll, they'll listen to instruction way more than someone who kind of knows it all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, so we get lads off and it could be their first fish and it's, and it's a shark. And we just kind of make sure it's all obviously looked after properly and brought on board properly for the, the research stuff, blood samples and so forth. Now, has your and inclusion, then, uh, recent inclusion in the Wild Atlantic Way been a bit of a benefit to, to your business? I think people are yeah, I'm, I'm starting to see you know, whether or not it's the inclusion of that or whether or not it's the return after COVID. I'm, I'm certainly starting to see more interest, particularly from uh, across Europe and, and the States again. Yeah. So that I'm sure part of that is towards the Wild Atlantic Way, yeah. Because yeah, I was in Dungarvan a few months back, and of course that's also on the water, but the business people there are saying that they cannot believe the lift in business in the town because of the... I don't, do they call it the cycleway or the walkway? Um, but that cycleway... Is or the Greenway. The yeah. Greenway, that's what it is. Yeah, is attracting it, yeah. huge business to the town. Yeah, I, I've spoken to um, I've spoken to a guy who's got a restaurant actually along there, and he was he comes up fishing with me quite regularly. He was, he was actually, they were close to kind of pulling the plug um, not so long back, but he said it's made a vast difference, mm. absolute vast difference to his business. So it's amazing, isn't it? Once you... Once you label something, it gives people a target to yeah, aim for, it. and uh, it was always there. In most cases, it was almost there. But the Greenway, obviously, yeah, that's something they've developed. They've developed um, and put money into it, which is excellent. Well, good morning and best wishes to everyone in beautiful Court McSherry today on this uh, half cloudy, half sunny day, and especially to its most famous resident, my friend John Crotty. Thank you. Cheers, cheers, David. Okay. I know that's tongue in cheek, right? Okay, let's go to line one. Christopher O'Sullivan, uh, TD, is on line one. Hi, Christopher. Hey, hey. 
for you. Now, you're going to talk to us about the pro- progress of the Union Hall Pier. It's something I came across on my last stint on the Neil Prendeville show. Uh, the council applied for funding to put up barriers and stop public access. Um, and at the time, we believe this was due to only what they called or what we would call slight damage. Um, everybody, of course, was up in arms because uh, it's more access to the water we need, not less. So wh- where are we at with it? Yeah, so I guess it's, um, it's kind of a blessing, really, that the, uh, I suppose, the scope of the project or the nature of the project where they were intending to put up a, um, a barrier to cut off access to the pier. Luckily, that didn't fall in within the scope or the remit of this, what they called Balami funding, this uh Brexit adjustment to local authority, marine infrastructure fund. Uh, it's a big long uh, one, but Balami is, is uh, it sounds like an Italian meat or something. But um, that, that's that's that, that's the funding. But uh, so it, it didn't fall within that scope because it's essentially what that funding is for, and the, the whole purpose of that fund is what virtually two million actually. The whole purpose is to improve uh, marine infrastructure to um, you know repair uh, slipways and pontoons and 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 piers and harbors not to cut off access. So thankfully, in this situation, um, even though some people might say, hey, why didn't you not get funding? Well, it, it, it's because the nature of the funding was for uh, actually removing access to people who, who use it. So, um, If, if I remember I, correctly, Christopher, if I remember correctly, the cost of putting up the barriers was pretty much in the same ballpark as doing the repairs in the first place. Yeah, there wouldn't have been much of a difference in it. I guess uh, it's just a timing thing that the repairs may have taken um, a bit longer than just simply erecting a barrier. Now, one other thing, obviously, that you would have to take into account is whether or not repairs would have required foreshore. But I visited the the old pier, what we call the old pier in, in Union Hall. This is a, a still, a, still a great piece of infrastructure. It's you have the commercial pier in Union Hall, which is used by those bigger fishing boats for landing their fish. And then you have what we call the old pier, which is mainly used for leisure activities. It's used by the rowing club. It's used by the sailing school. It's used by kayakers. It's also used by some of the smaller uh, fishing boats down there as well for um, you know some of the inshore uh, fleet. So it's, it's a really important um, piece uh, of, of infrastructure. But you know what I've what I'm trying to do is encourage Cork County Council instead of just the simple blocking off access, which there seems to be a trend of them doing invest in it, uh, repair it. It shouldn't require foreshore because it's simply um, just repairing the the edges of the pier, really, the capping, etc. Um, and maybe installing a few extra rings, maybe a few tow rails, um, simple measures like that. So it, it would cost, from from my analysis, would cost in around the same uh, region, but it would just enhance what is already a, a fantastic facility. And we need, to be honest, to do this right throughout the coast invest in our piers and harbours. Um, I mean, I'm not sure if you ever were lucky enough to do one of those uh, Shannon um, cruises uh, where you essentially stop in town to town and in, in every town there's this stunning uh, pontoon infrastructure so you can just pull up and, um, and and get off and enjoy what that town has to offer. I know, I know it's more difficult in coastal areas because you're exposed mm-hmm. uh, to the coast, you're exposed to the weather, you're exposed to the tide, you're exposed to the wind. Um, but I just... Uh, for me, imagining that lovely network of pontoons from Yall in the east all the way down to um, Dursey Sound in the west, where people could, you know, hire a boat for relatively low cost and take off and explore what West Cork is offer. It seems to me we're doing the exact opposite. 
Okay, you're speaking to the converted here, and I, I firmly believe the best of, West, of what West Cork has to offer is available from the water. Now, that's not to say you can't get there in a car, um, but it's just it's, it's just a different experience to travel around West Cork by water. So what's going to happen with the pier, do you think? Will, will, the, will it be repaired? Will people well, get so back using it? There's another round of funding, uh, which I think the deadline is at some point in July for Cork County Council to reapply for funding. So I'm speaking to the harbour master there. Um, he, by the way, agrees that the best approach is uh, to repair. Um, so I'm really hopeful that that will be the strategy going forward. Um, and and the, I mean, you're speaking to, to David Edwards there. David used to be based out of Ring near Town Kilty, uh, Cork County Council owned here. And because of the silting and the sandbanks became so bad, he had to move his operations down, down, down to Court McSherry. And that's another example of where there was an opportunity for Cork County Council to actually improve the infrastructure down the ring. It's close to County Kilty, improve access and allow people to use it. And, you know, there's so many elements to this. You've got, obviously, inshore fishing, but other than that, whale watching, angling, sailing, kayaking, night kayaking. I mean, the, the, the entire marine leisure gambit, really. I, I'm, I'm often confused as, as to why the arbiters of power... Uh, in in the corridors of Dáil Éireann or wherever foreshore licensing is uh, is decided upon, yeah, s- seem to think that instead of its ambition to protect the Irish foreshore for the Irish people, they're protecting it from the Irish people. Yeah, and, and that's uh, that's about to change with the new marine area uh, planning regulator, which hopefully will streamline foreshore applications. And, and uh, instead of a process that's taken up to two years, that we should have it within uh, a number of months. Uh, that that's absolutely um, vital. But we just need to change our attitude change your approach. I firmly believe, and, and I've said it kind of, County Cork and the whole uh, Cork County could position itself as a capital um, of marine leisure and, and outdoor activities, similar to what Queenstown has done in, uh, in New Zealand. Similar or to Fremantle, uh, Australia, or Newport, Rhode Island. Uh, hi, Mick, can, yeah, you ask exactly. Chris, can you ask Christopher O'Sullivan who is going to pay for the removal of the Sun Controller in Union Hall, which was taken away on Sunday at a cost report to be in the region of 1.5 to 2 million euro, and where is this money coming from? That's from a concerned peer user. Yeah, uh, to be honest, I, I, I don't know who uh, funded the, the removal of the, the trawler. I know that um, when we dealt with this issue, uh, in I was once on Baltimore Harbour Board, um, and the Harbour Board uh, would have written to the owners of the vessels. As you know, uh, when they're abandoned like that and when they're left there, it can be very difficult to track down the owners. In some instances, we had success in getting funding from the actual owners. Uh, to to fund the removal or fund the, the breaking up uh, of the boats and, and taking them ashore. In other instances, we did actually have to use harbour board funding itself uh, to get the likes of cork metal down and to, to get the boats taken in. So I'd imagine there may be a state element of, of, of funding for that, but look, it had to be taken away. There was a yeah. um issue there. There was also a safety issue. And also it took up a, a burst for two small vessels, actually, uh, in the uh, on the pier down there, which is, can be used by so many other vessels, but it was... It was kind of so. I'm, I'm glad that it's gone. I'm glad that it's, it's been removed. But the exact nature of where the funding came from, I'd have to come back okay. to make on that one. All right, and I know there are certain sensitivities around asking the question too. So we leave it there. Christopher Sullivan, uh, TD. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Bye bye. Now people are wondering why the uh, there was no Eucharistic procession 
in Cork uh, over the weekend. And we're back to that in a moment. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. And I've been asked to give uh, a quick mention to a uh, Kieran Kramer Golf Classic, which is going on tomorrow in Lee Valley. It's as good as sold out. A couple of places left, I'm told, if you want to get in touch with the powers that be. But there's going to be live music from six, and everybody's welcome. And there's going to be great crack as well. And Kieran is uh, continuing his rehabilitation and recovery, and is on his way to Mizzen, he tells me, for a few hours. Now then, uh, hi, Neil and Mick. Just wondering what happened to our 97-year-old tradition in Cork of the Eucharistic procession. Uh, I'd say the new bishop was hoping no one would realise it was gone. Dear Mick, why was there no Eucharistic procession in Cork last weekend? They said it was due to uncertainty because of COVID, but there were processions around the country. The bishop was at the Sheraton Hotel in Athlone on Saturday for the National Pre-Synodal Assembly. It seems to me they couldn't be bothered going back, uh, getting back on the Sunday. Why was this meeting scheduled for such a busy weekend? On line two, and I thank him for holding his Father Tom Hayes. Father Tom, long time no speak. Good morning, Mick. How good are you? To talk to you? Very good. Fine, thanks be to God. Oh, yeah. okay. Why no Eucharistic procession? The short answer, Mick, is that as opposed to the small town and village processions, which many of us had on Sunday, the city procession is a huge undertaking for a lot of people. Um, one of your callers suggested that the bishop is involved in it. It's actually the city parishes organise it. The principal parish organizer is the cathedral parish with the help of the other city parishes. The, city, the procession basically was started in the city in 1926 when the city centre was full of residents and there were no suburbs basically in the city or involved in any procession then. And obviously it has changed hugely over the years. But one of the things that it does involve is a huge amount of advanced planning in the organisation liaison with the Gardaí for street closures, liaison with the other city partners that are involved in running it, all the lay groups of Catholics that take part in the procession. So there's an organising committee that actually begins their work in the autumn in order to make the procession possible for the following summer. So you can't just come out of restrictions and a month or two later all of a sudden have a procession because the advanced planning work just wasn't possible. It wasn't, there was nobody able to meet face-to-face for a long time this year, as people know, and it wasn't possible to do it. So whereas I'm in a much smaller parish, where there's a smaller group of people involved, and at short notice, we were able to organise ours in a West Cork parish. The city one just, it wasn't possible. So when the city parishes, after the restrictions, had their meeting, they decided that with all that's going on in the parishes as well, the confirmations, the communions, the catch-up weddings, all which have to be done, it, they didn't have the capacity or the time to actually get around to planning and properly doing the procession, liaising with all the different bodies involved. So the decision was made to not have it this year and to start the planning for next year's one in the autumn of this year when it will be possible to do it. I guess outside the physical planning, there's also liaison with road closures and um, parking and all that sort Absolutely. of thing. And, and also the other, the other big change, obviously, that's happened too, is that, you know, when I was in the city years ago as a priest, the procession was the only event that happened in Cork basically that day. There weren't matches, there wasn't a Cork show, there wasn't anything else in competition with the procession. All that's moved and all of that's changed. So, you know, we have to review and monitor how the procession is done as well and to do it sensibly and reasonably because the city has changed. It's a very different place now. 
multicultural, multi-ethnic, um, certain amount of people very passionate and supportive of the procession. A lot of people not connected with it at all. So all yeah. that has shifted and moved to. That's a, that's a very honest appraisal, I suppose, of, of what seems to be a little dwindling interest. Of course, you've got your passionate people. Of course, you've got those who will always, always attend one. But it's never going to be like it was in the 50s or 60s, is it? No, it isn't. No, it, it's certainly not. And um, and I'm not even certain, I suppose, that we didn't want it that way. No, it has to be. It has to have a different focus. The church's emphasis is very different. It's about inviting people. It's not commanding a centre stage in the main public thoroughfare of the city, which was the history of it. And literally, the traffic stopped while the parish communities walked by. And also, once upon a time, it was only the men walked and the women and children. <laughs> Things are changing, yeah. Okay. So it's all, it's all moved. It'll, and uh, the committee that's involved in the planning of next year's, you know, will have a, a big challenge to resuscitate it and to make it relevant to a whole new different time yeah. as well. I'm going to give you the publicity when that comes around. But once again, for that very succinct explanation, Father Tom Hayes, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks, Mick. Thanks. Now, I've got a wonderful book in front of me. In fact, I've got about 10 of them to give away, but don't call just now. You're going to have to earn it. We have a langer load of copies of Morty McCarthy's Doubt Your Boy, an anthology of Cork slang to give away. So we need you to tell us your best pure Cork story. Okay, it's got to be pure Cork. Uh, give us a call on 0818104106. You can text or WhatsApp 0861041106, or you can email neil at redfm.ie. We might spread this out over today and the next couple of days as well. But if you think you've got a great pure Cork story that would be entertaining, please do get in touch. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features, and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Frienderville Show And into the final hour for today uh, Celia's on line one to kick us off Hi uh, Cecilia, I beg your pardon Hi there Hi, hi Nick Now Father Um, Hayes, uh, you say he he explained I thought it was quite a succinct explanation You reckon it was a cop out? It's just when I was listening to him You know, I just thought it's just so typical Um, I have videos of Beautiful Eucharistic processions all over the world, from New York to Uganda and back again. France, Spain, Italy, the whole lot. And they were worse with COVID than we were. And they had the most beautiful um, um, processions, you know, because I have the videos of them. Uh, also, I think there's no leadership from the Catholic Church in Ireland. They, they say that the people are falling off. It is no wonder. And um, I was in Spain at Easter and the processions there and the people because they have leadership to, to encourage them. And the same, I was in, in Paris only two weeks ago and you could hardly get a seat in this big church that I was in. And what is it like here? You know, the, 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 the clergy are just falling down. I wouldn't know a new bishop if I passed him in the street compared to Bishop Buckley, who was everywhere. We've heard nothing from that bishop, you know. I remember being, uh, you know, working in hotels uh, on on the odd uh, women's little Christmas. I better not call it little women's Christmas or I'll be killed. Women's little Christmas uh, on the 6th of January. And always Bishop Buckley would come around uh, to say hello to the ladies on their night out. And, uh, you know, he'd he'd always get there before the Chippendales, by the way. But uh, (laughs) And he was a bigger hit. Yeah. And he, I say he used to appear at funerals and he'd be, you know, you'd see him around the place and he, he'd come around to the parishes to say mass now and then. But besides that, like, 
I, I just don't know. Now, we had the little local procession in our church and, uh, you know, an awful lot came out and it was lovely and they finished with benediction in the church. I can't remember the last time there was a benediction any, anywhere when it's such a beautiful ceremony and I just think this, um, is saying they couldn't organise the Eucharistic procession in a tiny city Cork when they can do it in New York and all over the world who were much more devastated by the COVID than we were, you know. Yeah, I've got a text here saying there was a Eucharistic procession. Uh, there was one uh, that she attended at St. Mary's in Pope's Quay. It yes. was lovely and well attended after 12.30 Mass. Yes, the churches did their own. I was at my own one. Um, that was just a little one around the street and back again, which I was very glad was on. But I mean, um, the organisation for the Eucharistic procession in the city uh, okay, they have to uh, liaise with the police and the rest of it for parking. But that's all because parishes organise themselves. Each parish organises and comes into the centre of town. And seeing as it was off for the couple of years with COVID, it was very, very disappointing not to see it again. I think the church, they're just afraid of criticism. They're afraid somebody would say, what are they doing in the city? My God, if you saw the middle of Malaga, completely second up, putting up the... Um, the huge altar in the centre of the city for Easter and everybody getting involved, you know. I mean, what are they like? They're, they're just afraid if anybody says boo and they back down. And yeah, even in Spain, if, if you're in Spain in early January and you see the procession of the kings uh, where, yeah. where, where the parade oh, yeah. comes along and throws out sweets to the children and yeah. uh, they're all very reverent. But do you think the church in... The Catholic Church, especially in Ireland, do you think it'll ever recover from the scandals and the, you know, the lack of take-up of the priesthood uh, and, well, and the waning interest from, from you know, people who are... Unless we get some, not unless we get some good leaders for priests. And there have been some really good leaders around, even around near my own parish and that kind of thing. But well, they're retired now or they've passed on, unfortunately. And nobody is taking up the, the baton, you know. Yeah. So, well, isn't it really that, that most mature people these days, you know, with access to information like they've never had before, are choosing to navigate their own moral pathway through life rather than adhere to the doctrine and the stringent stringent rules uh, that being a Catholic today uh, requires of you? Maybe so, but surely we should have the option of showing uh, the faithful showing that, you know, their, their, their support by having the pr that procession like once a year. It was so popular always. I'm sure you know yourself the way mm. it used to be all men and then the women were allowed and the crowds that came from all the parishes. But isn't, isn't, that a, isn't that itself indicative of how far the church is behind in, in common thinking? That women were, you know, it's, it's like women weren't allowed in pubs. Women had to, when they were, sit in snugs. They had to be separated yeah. well, from I their pint-lofting partners. It is, a, it is a good while ago, and that was all changed, yeah. you know. But, um, you know, that's all I want to say. I don't want to be labouring on. But yeah. I was just really disappointed, and I'm not the only one. I thought it just... It's just the church, they're backing down and everything. And I think the real reason is that they are afraid that people will say, what are they doing ticking up uh, Patrick Street or all this kind of thing? And why should we watch this? Uh, because I've heard that carry on. I've heard that talk. And well, as Father Tom Hayes said, uh, there's every expectation there will be a Eucharistic procession next year. Uh, and we'll see how well it's supported, I guess. Yeah. Well, I hope yeah. so. Okay. All right. Thanks, thanks Cecilia. Thank you. Thank Bye. you very much. Okay. Let's get back to some of our uh, texts. 
on uh, 086 8104 Uh Hi Neil, just on the topic of people struggling, these are texts from the last few days, uh, please see the link attached which is about the ANP payment, additional needs payment. I applied for this recently. You'll notice the very first paragraph says, an additional needs payment is a payment available to you if you have expenses you cannot pay from your weekly income. Yet after applying, I received this letter from the social welfare officer. Please note the second paragraph, which states the opposite of the government website. It is not usually made in respect of household bills or routine expenses. So what do you do? The government say one thing and welfare are saying something different. Uh, Hunger Games Society, uh, all government policy. I blame the men uh, of the road who meet up in Tucky Street. Not sure what that one's about. I know a family whose son is renting in Bandon Road for €150 a week with seven of them in there. There are students that are paying him as well in order to keep the house for the school year. Neil was talking about other topics, rubbish uh, and the housing list. Uh, On the rubbish topic, the City Council should look at the Grand Parade over the weekend. All the fast food papers is a disgrace. Sunday morning at 8am. On the housing list, morning Neil, the rent rates are so awful. I feel so sorry for anyone trying to rent, but I think the social housing list is a joke. The majority of people on it are telling lies to get a house, stopping the genuine people getting them. Another text just says, hi there, before homeowner lock uh, into a long fixed term if they have a mortgage with four years or less renegotiate with their bank on that basis and the new increases might not uh, affect them at all. Maybe go for a five year fixed at the better rate banks won't ever advertise those offers but they're there if you go looking. Uh, in the UK it's quite normal to renegotiate after a few years of, and uh, this will save you thousands. Another texture says this government should be investigated internationally into the crap policies that have crippled many sectors of society in areas of housing and health, the two basics of life. Many educated 20 plus people will move from this country as staying with mum and dad is not what they want. Young people need their own space but can't afford it and uh, yet thousands are coming in here. The greed by landlords is thanks to these awful policies. Says Anthony. And one more. Uh, and there you have your typical Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael voter. Mother has a rental property. She has a rental property. Brother has a rental property. Why would they want anything to change? Very comfortable on the back of others. And if you want to get in touch with the programme, you can phone us on 0818 104 106 or text 086 8104 106. Back in a moment. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM. Still taking your pure Cork stories, you can call us 0818-104-106, text or WhatsApp 086-104-106 or email neil at redfm.ie. A langer load of copies and I say that because it's a, it's a slang word in the book. It's Morty McCarthy's Doubt Your Boy, an anthology of Cork slang uh, to give away. Sorry, 086-8104-106 is uh, our text number if I call that out wrong. Sorry about that. Um, and it's only when you have visitors like we've had friends in from America that you realise you really need to be careful around things you say uh, every day. Like, I will, yeah, or how bad, or uh, a bags, you made a bags of that, or act in the langer, or whatever like that. Uh, and all of these are all in uh, this book, and it's really, really entertaining. If you know anyone abroad who would like uh, a little slice of cork, uh, this would be uh, absolutely brilliant for them. Like, I was knotted, skitting means laughing heartily. Uh, a gomi uh, means he's a bit of a gomi, that fella. Uh, means he's a little bit slow in the thought process. Crabbit, remember that one? Uh, oh, he's very crabbit, him. Uh, Dawny Smallman is very crabbit. She'd buy and sell you. Sure, that wouldn't make sense to anybody who's not, not, not from Cork, really, or maybe not from outside of Ireland. Um, of course, we have uh, Bjor, 
which is uh, female. Um, I didn't know this one before, that chats was breasts. Uh, Fine Stab is a good-looking person, apparently. And there are hundreds more. Gat being alcohol. Uh, Gatting mean drinking alcohol. Uh, Gawking to get sick. That's not looking. It's uh, it's getting sick. Getting the gawks getting sick. Uh, He's a great lip means he's a fondness for the drink. And there are so many more. But do you have any particular slang you want to come on and tell us about that's peculiar to your area? Uh, and I heard another one, and I'm not sure if it's uh, if it's a relation uh, in relation to cork. Uh, a guy asked me the other night, "Would you like a whacker?" I said, uh, "Excuse me." He said, "You want a whacker?" I said, "What's a whacker?" It's a little tot of whiskey. It's kind of half a shot. Oh, I never heard that, and I don't know if it's in cork or not. Uh, Foxer, fla, uh, a font. I give him a right font. I give you a font up the ass. Uh, that's a kick, of course. If you have any more, please do get in touch with us. 0868104106 or 086 by text 81046. Now to matters more serious and to Alison on line two. Good morning, Alison. Hello, uh, Mick. How are you? I'm very good. Thanks for holding. Now, you were recently diagnosed with alopecia. Yes, I was, Mick, yeah. Okay. And so I'm uh, looking for advice. Okay. How has that manifested? Is it hair falling out or is it... Is yes, it, yes, yeah. Okay. My hair is falling out. Not by... Uh, nothing medical, nothing like that. No, no. It's just... Um, yeah. It bra- I have two hairdressers. One, I can just pop into if something pops up, you know, and it's, it's grand. I can... I, my hair is everything to me. Okay. Um, I As it is to most see, ladies. Huh? I'm follically challenged, but hair, I understand the importance of it to most <laughs> ladies. Yeah, so I, yeah, I have two hairdressers. Uh, one, I can walk, and then the, the other person, if something pops up, and she's, they're two fantastic girls. I have so much respect for them, because they work very, very hard. But um, one of them brought me to the attention al, uh, to Alpecia. So um, she she advised me to get us um, get attention on it straight away. Otherwise, she said it would spread to the other part of your scalp. Okay, so it's so, isolated at the moment, is it? Huh? It's isolated in one part of your scalp. Yes, it is on 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 the top. Yeah. Okay. So, in actual fact, she left the cell on. I I think she made a phone call to someone advising her because this girl is young and she and I was delighted she told me because she said I have to tell you um, she was a bit you know um, she, she was slow in, in saying it to me but I said to her I, I need to know just let me know as long as I know I'll get it sorted so I think there's a lot of women and men um, dealing with the same problem. So, okay, Mick, I'm asking uh, for advice, right? Do I go to a GP or do I go to a hair consultant? Um, to get to a consultant, I would have to go through a GP. Do I need to do that and give my 70 euro? I prefer to give my 70 euro to someone that specializes in the area. Okay. So that's all I'm asking. I have a wedding coming up. Not that it's going to go away. Um, it probably will take a while to treat this. I don't know what's the treatment. Is it, is it tablets? Is it injections? What is it? 
I okay. have never, never experienced. I, I, I don't know anyone with, with this condition. Okay. We have a text and we have two experts for you already, okay? Oh, uh, my God. No. Hi, guys. Tell that woman if she wants to chat with me, she can. Uh, and that's Chloe's hair affair. Uh, and androgenic alopecia or telogen effluvium uh, are, are the two conditions. Uh, are they based in Cork? Uh, they are, as far as I know, yes. We'll, 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 get, we'll get them in touch with you. Unfortunately, can I come on right now? I'm in work, but I can introduce okay. her That's to the okay. community and give her support. I remember doing the Neil Prendival show some, maybe a year ago, and finding out that there was an alopecia support group as well. So that's probably a WhatsApp or something or a meeting that you can go to. Uh, but let's get you more more direct help. Thank you, Chloe's Hair Affair, for your expertise there and your offer, your kind offer of assistance. But on line three, we have Joe Godfrey. Oh, uh, fantastic. And uh, Joe yeah. Godfrey is a client care consultant uh, in the Millennium Hair Clinic and offer uh, they'll offer a free consultation. Joe, good morning. Hi, how are you keeping it today? Very good. Let, tell me a little about alopecia, the condition, how it manifests, and how you can help. Okay, so first of all, the alopecia is to describe the hair loss. Um, we need to, first of all, find out what type of alopecia it is, okay? So, um, automatically, you've seen people texting straight away saying about alopecia areata um, or androgenic alopecia. It, we need to, there's a lot more types of alopecia out there regarding um, just them too. So, we need to find out, um, obviously, see Alison face-to-face for a consultation. Um, when we see her for a consultation, we examine, we examine her scalp. We also get her to get out a medical history form. And then we actually check our scalp underneath a microscope. When we check underneath the microscope, we can actually see the behavior of the hair follicles and what's actually actually happening around the hair follicles and the sensitivity of the hair follicles at the time. When we do this, then it gives us an idea of what type of alopecia it is. And then we can actually do an individualized approach for Alison for what treatment she would need. Um, Yes, I do agree with Alison. It's very much how you... Loads of people are in this situation. They don't know where to go. Um, regarding a GP, you do not need a referral from a GP to come see us, okay? It's absolutely no problem. You just send us uh, through um, an email or call us or WhatsApp us. We'll be very happy to get back to you and organize a consultation for you. And then that's where you make the next step. But you do not need to see the GP. We do work with a lot of GPs and we do refer their clients to us. But there is no need for each Alison come, come directed to us uh, okay. or like Alison as well. Okay, Joe, what, what's the percentage of uh, or what's the success rate, I suppose, in, in number one, halting the advancement of the condition and maybe number two, repairing it and dispelling it completely? So it does depend on what type of alopecia it is. If it's androgenic alopecia, okay, we can actually stabilize the um, hair thinning from happening and actually try and stop the um, hair thinning actually make sure that the hair follicles stimulate follicle growth again and actually get the hair follicles to stabilize so they stop losing the hair fall. When it's regarding to alopecia areata, you do want to isolate the area. You also want to stabilize it, but you also need to do regular checkups to make sure that it's not spreading. It is an autoimmune disease, okay? So it is an emphasized meditative disease, but it also is the body's malfunction of the immune system and it produces antibodies to attack the hair follicles. So it's happening internally, so not externally. It's actually happened to it. It's happening inside the body and it can be to do with the synthetic nervous system where the body is actually going through trauma at the time and sometimes can be triggered by viruses and um, there's a lot of studies going on at the moment over um, how it can be stabilised and there is good success rates about it but first of all it is to find out what type of alopecia it is and then it can be treated either surgically or non-surgically so that would be the next step. 
Okay, and if you offer a referral-free consultation, what sort of costs might be involved in the future? Our consultation fee is only fifty euros. Okay, and in the consultation, we actually do sit down the client for a half an hour to forty-five minutes, and we do the microscopic examination included in that. Okay, uh, and the ongoing costs of of, of repairing. So if, if, say, the client did suffer alopecia areata, well, we are actually HSE approved, so it would be to wear a hair system or wigs, okay? And that's when they lose all the hair throughout the whole head, okay? They actually block all their hair follicles. If it's just a small patch, there is some kind of creams that you can try and uh, microstimulate factor creams to help actually encourage the hair follicles to grow. Um, if it's a, a male client or female client that have androgenic alopecia and they've actually lost the hair follicles at the very front, like a hairline or the crown area, well, we do um, hair transplants. Okay, and they're all carried out by our qualified plastic surgeons with 15 years experience. So it does depend again what type of alopecia it is and how we can treat it. It could be telegenic flu agreement, the client could just have went through stress or just an area where they're taking medication and it could be a side effect. Okay, the, the wonder ingredient has been texted into us. Uh, we've had this ingredient or, or this oil uh, recommended for burns, for stings, for sunburn, for everything else. I had alopecia in my teens. A doctor told me it was stress related. He told me to use coconut oil and I found it absolutely brilliant. After treatment, I got my hair back and I was able to reverse the effects. Do you, could you validate that? Or is it, uh, I, I know coconut yes, oil, you can buy it for two quid in, in, in Aldi, yeah. for God's sake. Yeah, so it does depend on the type of alopecia it is. For alopecia areata, normally coconut oil would be, obviously, it's great to soften the skin, seep down into the hair follicles, into the dermis layer of, of the reticular layer, but more than likely, you would want to see a trichologist to see what's actually going on with the behaviour of the hair follicles around the area where we need, it's, it need to isolate it first. So it would be more of um, a hands-on approach than just coconut oil. Okay. Uh, okay, so we're going to put you in touch with Joe Godfrey, client yeah. care consultant at the Millennium Hair Clinic, also with Chloe's Hair Affair. And I want to talk to one more uh, expert in the area as well in a moment. You. Have you any questions for Joe, Alison? Me? Yeah, have you any questions about uh, moving no forward? Questions. No, no, no. I'm just wondering where is he actually based? Hi, Alison. We're based out in uh, Westlink Health, Westlink Business Park in um, Blackpool. Uh, we're up there. Oh, my the God. Yeah, I'm very Brighton. close. Yeah. Yeah. You'd be more than welcome to come down to us. We will look after you to the best of our capability. I actually myself was a sufferer of um, alopecia areata. The first Perfect. thing for you, Alison, is we need to see what type of alopecia it is and okay. see, make sure we give you the best approach and going you, you forward have my and the correct treatment. Yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, get those, we'll, we'll get those with your permission. We need to watch Thank GDPR, you. but of course you're looking for it, so there's no problem. All right, mate. Uh, Joe, you're on a alopecia journey. Is it quite different for a male than a female, I would say? Yeah, I would. I suffered androgenic alopecia, so just uh, it was male pattern baldness. It was just following my dad's footsteps. But uh, when I was very, very young, unfortunately, due to a family loss, um, I actually suffered with alopecia areata, where I lost 90% of my hair. Um, again, at my age, it was very, very hard because I was only eight years of age and I got to wear and wear hats. And it was to do with um, the stress and um, anxiety of losing a family member. But at the end of the day, I recovered completely about it. That's why I went off and I actually studied. I was a hairdresser and barber, and I went off and studied trichology. Um, I've been working in this industry since 2009. I've worked with a big group of um, plastic surgeons who are specialists in hair loss. Um, we've a great scope. We've looked after uh, nearly 30,000 people regarding hair transplants, regarding non-surgical wearing wigs, laser light therapy, PRP. We are treating thousands of cork clients um, every year and we, our success rate has been quite high. Okay. After treatment you got your hair back so you were able to reverse the effects. Absolutely. I've had a hair transplant myself. It's one of the best things I've ever done for myself. You know what? It's now you want it. It's not 
to look back and you have to come and go, well, I'm sorry, I didn't do this for myself. Yeah, I was coming in recently on a flight from Istanbul and uh, the number of people getting on, uh, mostly, I think exclusively male actually, uh, with, with that purple doll's hair effect. Some had hats, some had hats declaring their allegiance to their hair transplant clinic. Uh, but a lot of males, maybe I'm talking maybe up 12 to 13, 14 males getting on the same flight, having a ha- oh, gone to Istanbul for hair transplants. Medical tourism is very high. So like my wife is actually half Turkish. So I've been in Turkey myself this year and um, this is something we do every day. So every day we get up, we check our laptops and we see people saying, look, I was out for and had a hair transplant. Can you help us out? And the reason why behind it is most people will go and have their first hair transplant in Turkey, but they'll come back and they might need a second or third hair transplant because it depends on how level or what degree of Norwood they're at. And Norwood is to scale how um, deep their hair loss is throughout the whole scalp. And when they do actually want to have a second or third hair transplant, sometimes to us, there's actually no hair left. So then they try to take body hair and it, it doesn't work out successful mm. for them. You know, Ireland isn't as dear as it's made out to be. Um, people need to just kind of start investigating what's in Ireland first before they go out and who is going to do the procedure. Uh, who does our procedures is our plastic surgeon. They take out all the hair follicles and put in the hair follicles. So okay. it's not just someone that has just done a quick course in it. So expertise on your doorstep. Joe Godfrey, client care consultant for Millennium Hair Clinic. Uh, thank you very much for coming on. Now, I want to thank our next participant for holding on because I'm stopping him from cutting hair. And uh, this uh, is going to be kind of a different approach, Alison, all right? But here, yeah, that's fine. here's another and expert. In actual fact, what I wanted to say is um, my hairdresser did, uh, she actually says that there's, there's ladies and men wearing wigs as a result of this condition. But that's not the way you want to go, is it? No, God, no, no, no. no. Okay. No. Well, this is probably a less scientific approach that we're going to give you now with Michael Moriarty, also known as the Baldy Barber. I know. But if it was good enough for members of the royal family, uh, then it might be good enough for you. Good morning, Mick. Okay. Good morning, Michael. Thanks for holding on. Long time no speak. Uh, yeah, when I first you know did this program over a quarter of a century ago, and and the topic alopecia came up, your name came to the fore. Uh, and, and I mistakenly said you, you treated Princess Di, but you didn't. It was it was another member of the royal Cal- family, Princess Caroline. Princess Caroline, yeah. So the so the <coughs> Monaco royal family, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So what 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 do you know about alopecia, and what did you develop, Mick? Well, it was my father developed uh, the lotion that we have, uh, and yeah, you know, he's just to us, customers they look after him, and there wasn't much alopecia around. He's dead now, forty four years, and uh, there wasn't much alopecia around at that time. But there is an awful lot of alopecia lately because of shock, stress and injury. For every two men, from my consensus anyway, for every two men that are there, there are eight women would have alopecia. Two men would have it, eight would have it out of ten. Okay. Uh, it's shock, stress or injury. And my oil is an actual oil. And what happens there with alopecia areata, if that lady has alopecia areata, is that there's a double layer of skin that forms and the blood is not pumping fast enough for the hair to come out. My lotion attacks it from the outside in. You put you apply it with cotton wool, and in six to eight weeks you should have your hair back. There is also a premature alopecia, which is male pattern baldness. You have alopecia cellulis and totalis. Now totalis now has been called into universalis or something like that. Why I don't know, because if you look at the book, the books on hairdressing and alopecia, totalis was there for the last hundred years, at least. You know. But <clears throat> I'd be very straightforward with people. I sit down with them, I talk to them, and I look at them, and I say, you have alopecia areata, you have your sinus, alopecia uh, prematura, I can't do anything for because I'm that way myself. And then you have the totalis, and 
you might get small pubic hair back with my lotion for the for the um, the totalis. But it would be very very slight. I had one person years ago who got about I said three quarters of an inch back in his hair, and he still has it to a flat, kind of a, a number two all over, one all over. So. That, that's it basically with mine Michael and number one or number two all over though would be more suitable for, for, for the male fraternity oh yes yes yeah, but not for a woman mm. not for a woman okay. no. No, so, no, no, so no. What, what advice would you give I know you have a vested interest in, in helping people it's not a commercial sort of an enterprise as such no but, no, uh, no 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 it's, it, I charge 35 euro for the bottle the person comes into me sits down and I give them whatever time I have with them and I don't charge them for consultation or anything like, anything like that and if they don't take a bottle fair enough if I can help them in any way, I will. Okay. What's your feeling on all of this, Alison? We've hit you with a kind of a tidal wave of information. Oh, there was a lot of it there. <laughs> I uh, felt I was doing a, co- a course again on it, you know. <laughs> Alison, what, 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 what do you think? Which direction would you like to go? Would you like to meet them all? I don't know, Mick. I, I, I don't know. Um, this has uh, kind of set me back a bit. So I'll have to think about it. Yeah. Uh, it's just well, that's a, very important that she does think about it, Michael, because, yeah. I mean, uh, like, mine is a natural uh, bottle, right? The lotion's inside is natural, right? And, I, I mean, a lot of people around the place, I, I have uh, great success with alopecia areata. So I don't know whether she has alopecia areata or alopecia similis. So has, has, has the lady got patches? Yeah, but it's, it's only after beginning, uh, Mick, uh, Michael. Yeah, Michael. Well, yeah, yeah, but yeah, shock stress or injury is the cause of that, Alison. Sorry? And now is the time to... No, shock Sorry? stress or injury... Shock stress or injury is the problem with uh, alopecia areata. That, is, that yeah. is the big one. Yeah. You know? So you uh, reckon I, that... Um, uh, are you recommending that your... your um, and I, I love natural products. Um, it, it, it is a natural and about to call it I mean and I don't be bullshit about anything at all excuse my French but uh, I, I, I don't charge consultation and I'm very straightforward Alison I, I, I kind of feel you maybe go down and have a chat with Mick Moriarty yes, and, yes and, if she and, wants to she can try, try the natural one and, and then maybe go for the more scientific uh, yeah, two, two I, very I, kind I offers it, it, it won't spray um, Michael no, no, no. Don't you start to use the lotion. It shouldn't spread at all, at all. Yeah, and you have yeah. my number there. The lads have my number there. And you can I, give me I a call know where you are, yeah, yeah. I know, yes, girl. All right, no problem. Three options and for you. In the shop. Donick in the shop knows much about alopecia now as I do. Because and if I'm not there, Donick looks after Early morning, yeah? Early uh, morning? Yes, uh, half eight in the morning we open up. Oh, yeah. fantastic. All right. Th- yeah. Three options for you. Explore them all. And we're glad we could be of help, Alison. Um, thank you, Mick. Thanks. Thank you so much. And cheers, Mick Moriarty, the Baldy Barber, as well. You're, you're welcome, mate. You're welcome. And, you and, Joe, and Joe as well. <laughs> and Joe. Yes, indeed. Uh, fantastic. And, and, and to fantastic. Chloe as well. Thanks for all your yeah. offers Chloe, of assistance. Yeah, yeah. 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 22 That's minutes it. to 12 now. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 0818-104-106. And a very good morning to you. As I mentioned, we have a langer load of copies of Morty McCarthy's Doubt Your Boy, an anthology of Cork slang to give away. We have an entire language of our very own here in Cork, so much so that Morty McCarthy, you might remember Morty as, of course, the uh, former drummer with the Sultans of Ping. So from the uh, musical lexicon uh, of great music to the the uh, Doucha Boy book has been quite a journey, an anthology of Cork slang. Now, Seamus Wheelahan took to the streets of Cork yesterday to see how many of the phrases people knew. He spoke with Corkonians and tourists alike. Hello. 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 
I said uh, pull a booter, what would that mean to you? Not a clue. Um, no. Or a scove. <laughs> no. No. Are these city things? Yeah, see, we're country now. Um, uh, I'm not sure if you're really right Austrian tourists for this. <laughs> well, you know, you're, you're here, you're to immerse yourself. Like if I said to you, Machia, what would, what would you think that meant? Could you even grasp an, an, an iota of what you thought it might mean? Tell us again. again. Ma- Machia. It's nothing to drink. <laughs> well, you could have a Machia drink to a fake one. It's something that's counterfeit. That's not real. That's Machia boy. Ah. Or if I if I said pull a booter. Pull a booter. Yeah. Oh, it means the legged to run away. Put a booter by. Ah, okay. <laughs> so you wouldn't have anything similar back in your country, would you? Kind of slang words like that. <laughs> I can figure out now in two words what side of the city this guy is on. Would you? Would you? Would you know what a straw hall? Or, Paul is. I know. Well, I, I, there was one there at the bridge one time, and a woman's handbag was thrown into the river, and one shot, and poked it out. She was she went down on her knees and praised the man that was throwing calling. So, to me, no, I would gather that your frau. Actually, do you know what RCYC means? I don't. Okay, so. That's that's definitive. No, that tells me he's from the north side of the city. Oh. <laughs> he's a Nari. No, I'm not Cork actually. Bonbons. Would you know what that Sweets. means? Sweets. You would think that. What about yourself? Same. Actually, swans. Swans. Yeah. Bonbons. Right. Wait. Come on, we go out to the lock and uh, feed the bonbons. If I said something like quarter irons. No. No. Uh, metal studs put on the soles of your shoes made to, to make a whacker seem uh, even tougher. Glacialis. Glacialis. Oh, Actually, God. I have a clue. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Do hazard, hazard a guess? Um, Some more UPS. Some beer. <laughs> like a bit like a a fool or something like it. No, it's actually uh, marbles. You know, glass marbles. marbles. Yeah. Marbles. Oh, I was so wrong, boy. <laughs> what about uh, poxed? Poxed. Um, like the banjacks, like. <laughs> Broken. Not lucky. Yeah. I don't even know that. Let me see. Straw calling. I've heard of that one. Is that a gawk? Like when you get the gawk? I, I don't know. So when you get the gawk? How many clowns? A backer. Just in the on the, the back of a bike. Okay. Phantom? Uh, ghost. Uh, thinking, uh, not really thinking. It's a special branch car. Hobble. Yeah, hobble was a 16 something. Yeah, that's it. If I said to you, Ali Ali, do you know what that would mean? No, one, I don't know that one. It's where children would throw a ball behind them and, and guess. Uh, oh, Ali, Ali, get the ball! Do you ever play that yourself? I did. That's right. I never heard of that. Say no, one. Codgen box. Codgen box. Yeah. We save your money. One bulb. Never heard that one. But obviously, you were never in trouble as a young one. No, I was. I was very quiet actually. Yeah, it's a garden motorbike. Oh. Huh. And now this one will put the cat among the pigeons. Do you know what RCYC is? No. Then you must be from the north side, so yeah. I am from the north side. Yeah, so you'd know what straw We're hauling is. Straw hauling. Yeah. All right. We're both from the north side. Taking your time. 
If you knew what RCYC was, then I'd call you sorry because you'd be a north sider and south side. I'm not a north side or south side. I'm neither. I'm an islander. I'm from Cove. Well, I'm half and half. I'm a north sider and a, a south sider. So you're sorry. You're sorry, Nari. Good old natural gas and uh, the Langer song. Uh, Seamus, if you're from Cove, doesn't the river flow to the south of Cove? Doesn't that make you a Northsider? Just putting it out there. I'm from Cove myself, but I'm just wondering. Okay, let's get to uh, Morty McCarthy, who's the author of this fabulous book called Doubt Your Boy. Morning, Morty. Mick, how are you? Very good. Long way from the Sultans. You're on tour, I believe, with... Um, or you're on a break from touring with uh, The Smile, which is a spin-off of Radiohead. Tom York yeah, and, and right, uh, yeah. Johnny Greenwood. Uh, and now you've written a book on Cork slang. How did this come about? Um, well, it was actually in 1998. I spent five weeks in the Mercy Hospital, and I just met a load of Cork characters there, and... Uh, started writing down words they were using and it kind of, that, that's the starting point and then basically every time I came home to Cork I just kept adding to the list and uh, when I started working in the university here in Stockholm I was checking the words with the other English teachers from all the countries they came from and some they recognised some they didn't have a clue and then just I was just adding to the list taking away from the list all the time and eventually uh, I think my grandmother's died in 2004 and 2002 and that kind of spurred me on to um, so it was kind of a love letter to the cock that was, in a way. Mm. Um, so uh, I released it then in 2004. Wow, okay. Now, I heard straw hauling in, in that. I would have thought it was straw hauling. I, I heard a few people say straw hauling. Well. I've never heard it called straw hauling. Maybe, maybe somebody can correct me there, but I knew what a straw hauling anyway. Okay. Uh, we got Neve online, too, who's going to comment on uh, some of the cork slang. Neve. Hi, you 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 know the, the big ones like can I have a Gary off of that? What does that mean? Yeah, can I go off it or can I have yeah. a flash off that? Uh, Morty, if, if some if some of these you haven't heard, let us know. But I imagine you're across them all. Uh, yeah, any more? I any more? Any of? Um, things like um, like I heard conjuring box there a while ago. So you might every year you collect your manager who did them. Your manager. Like the manager was a big thing, wasn't it? Where you yeah. pay money to your friend? Thing, yeah, and, yeah. yeah. And I heard backer as well, but you forgot a crosser. A backer. Yeah, backer was uh, on the back seat of the bike. Backer on the crosser, right? Yeah. But you could on the crosser, I didn't hear a crosser. And if someone had a great tan, what would you say? You'd say, uh, God, she's mahog. She's mahog. Mahogany. Like, like mahogany. Uh, I oh, don't have that in the book, actually. Oh, we'll we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll do version two. <laughs> go, What's up the ox mean? Yeah. Up the ox. Do you know now if somebody was eating an apple or, or if somebody was eating anything, you'd say, can I at the end of it, can I up the ox? And if, no, you, and if you threw a load of coins or sweets in the air and the kids yeah, would grab them, say, what would that be? All about, all about. All about. Do you, know, uh, you, do you know, when someone comes in and they throw all the stuff up and you say all about and all the kids then would rush and get, okay. just grab like. So you're, you're now in Passage West, but you're originally from Ballyfehan and that's where you get your particular slang from. Is, yeah. is, is there territorial slang, if you like, between all the areas of Cork, Morty? Um, well, definitely with some words, uh, straw column was a classic one you mentioned there, mm. uh, and RCYC. Um, certain I words never heard the word RCYC. It's the Royal Cork yeah, Yacht Club, darling. Oh, yeah, yeah I think I that, know you know, that down in Crosshaven, I spent every summer down in Crosshaven, and uh, yeah, we called them the RCYCs when they came down in the summer to sail their yachts. 
Um, so that, that was the, the common word down there used by all the cop people. Yeah, not many it. people know what the RDS stands for. Would you, Morty? The RD? The RDS in Dublin. Um, I don't. Go on. Okay. Niamh? No. The Royal Dublin Society. Uh, I thought it was a trick question, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> no, We're showing our class here now, I think. That's actually true. <laughs> Uh, in fact, we, we retain a lot of that royalness in, uh, in, uh, in, in certain areas of life here. Uh, but Cork indeed does have its own particular language. Going, to, going through the book, uh, a cheeser uh, or a grinder is getting hit on the ass by a ruler. Uh, Happy day. I don't know where that noise is coming from. Is Darth Vader on the line? Um, what, fondies, hugs and kisses. Lob the gob. Lob the gob to have a kiss. Uh, the crew beans, of course, are the pig's feet. The bodice is the ribs. We all know that. Uh, a goodie is a traditional cork dessert made with hot milk. Uh, and then there's old cork slang, Morty, as well. Uh, a touch of the hegos. That means he's cowardly, right? Yeah, yeah. So that, that all comes from Sean Beach's book. And he brought that out in 83. And that was the inspiration for me to, to start the book 20 years later. So maybe yeah. it's time, Mick, for someone else to... It's nearly 20 years after my book now for someone else to take it up. Is is your book that old, yeah? It is. 2004 is when the book came out. Yeah. Oh, okay. No wonder you're giving them away. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Clearing out the attic. Okay, well, what, what we're going to do, Morty, is uh, we're going to open up the lines for, uh, and our text, of course, an email, for Pure Cork Stories. And if they're good enough, we'll give them a, a copy uh, of your book. Neve, thanks a million. Just want to bring Dominic in here uh, before, thanks, we, before we wrap it up. Dominic, good morning. Hi, Dominic. Hello. Hello. You're asking, has he ever heard of the butt? The butt, the cigarette, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, they, everyone heard it. It's a butt. Let me drag off your butt. All right. Yeah, I yeah. think that's a cork yeah. slang. But yeah. come here. What about... The, remember the, the whacker of whiskey? The whacker, yeah. Is that cork? Yeah. I often have a whacker. And, and, and after the... You call for a, a whacker of whiskey and a, a half in half. And do you know what a half and half was? No, go on. Half and half, a pint of Guinness, half cold and half warm. And uh, <laughs> half normal, yeah, and half cold. I used to get that in John Sullivan's and Douglas in the 60s. Wow, John Sullivan's has gone through some transformation since the 60s. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it is. I, I remember John Sullivan coming out and putting his bike against the wall, the Lord Mersham, and then opening the pub. Yeah, great to see his name carrying on in the, in, the, in the premises. I, oh, I his, son, his son is at it. Is, yeah. is, that, is that it? Yeah, it's still in the family, but it's really, really revamped. Great food and, and, and drink venue now. Oh, the, the best, the best. His son is on it now, yeah. But that, that's right. John Sullivan's going to a wacko, get a wacko and a half and a half. <laughs> well done, Dominic. Half a cold, half a cold Guinness, a half a warm Guinness, yeah. Okay, those days are gone, in I'd say. Winter, yeah. All right. In the winter. Thanks, Emil. All right, bye. Can, hey, come here. Come here. Did yeah. you ever hear it? We used to play cat and dog long ago. Go Did on. you ever hear that? No, go on. There was two sticks. One would be small, and you, you, you peel both ends, and you have a long one, and you hit it then, and you go up near and you crack it, and the shores on the road at that time, you have to get them into the shores. Oh, that was wow. about cat and dog, and that was in the 50s. All right, Dominic, we'll leave it there. I need to get Thomas for a quick one. Has Morty heard of a gonk? Uh, as in, he's a gonk. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I remember a few guys in school called that. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I'm, I'm going up to claim a fella uptown, which means you're looking for a fight. That's some of the old ones. We'll continue so, with this tomorrow. Well, Morty. Yeah, yeah. 
you're, 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 you're missing the point there. A gunk is actually, if I called you a gunk, I wouldn't say it to your face, but I'd say it to my friend if we were in a bar or something like that. A gunk means that a fella is so stupid, so he is so out of touch with reality, that he has no idea what's going on in the world at all. So you just call him a gunk. A gunk, okay. It's a new one. Very good. Thomas, join us tomorrow morning, if you will, and, and, and tell us some more of your slang, will you? Okay, All right, thanks a million. I'm going to leave it there. Morty, thank you so much for coming on. We'll give away copies of your book. It's called Doubt Your Boy, an anthology of Cork slang. Morty McCarthy, now in pastures new over on the continent. Uh, But it's a very, very entertaining read, and we'll have some fun giving them away tomorrow. Thanks a million, Morty. Thanks a lot, Mick. Take thanks, care, all the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. My thanks to the uh, Neil Prendival Show producers today, Kevin, Seamus and Claire, for all of their great input. This is another Red FM podcast. And remember, if you enjoyed this episode, for more podcasts, check out redextra.ie. It's full of great Red FM content.